the football pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love John Milan. It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode 10 of the Hurling Pod. Lots to unpack from last weekend. We had probably the game of 2022 so far with Limerick, despite their injury concerns, overcoming the league champions Waterford by 30 points to two goals and 21. It means Limerick have got one foot effectively into the Munster Championship final, but things were blown wide open by Clare coming out of the long grass and getting a rare victory for them at Semple Stadium. They'll be back there this week after their win against Tipperary to play against Cork. And should the Banner, who've now got a reinforced panel for the championship win that game they'll be very much in contention to qualify for the Munster final in Leinster huge result for Dublin on the road against Wexford Wexford now face an uphill task to qualify after they were edged out by a point by the Dubs who now if they win against Westmead this weekend will be extremely well placed to qualify in Leinster delighted to say that we have James Skell here once again after we flew solo last week and back from his travels Paul Murphy Paul how are you getting on great Will how are you how are you James good to see you Tremendous, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> will, will we get straight into the uh, the two of you guys having a little pop back and forth at each other while Paul was off on his trip to Africa as well? Um, James, you had no problem with being called an ape, it would seem. Um, wow, what a way to start the show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't shave either. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen to me, Will, Paul. I've been called an ape more times than I care to remember, so... That one, I, I was thinking you must have got a chip off someone locally because that's what they call me when, when I'm uh, acting out a small bit. I, I wasn't actually having a pop at you. That was an actual conversation we had. So it's all factual. Like, I, mean, I, don't see, factual. I, did, I didn't actually think it was going to offend you. <laughs> as, I said, as I said in my WhatsApp to you, Murphy, I said, it uh, is a long road and no turns. <laughs> I'll be honest with you now. When I was about to send it, I, I thought for a few seconds I was going, I'm opening a tin of worms here now. But sure, look, it's out there now. So... Oh, it's out yeah. Made the best man. Most public forum in the world, yeah. (laughs) Paul, we were talking slightly behind your back last week about the fact that you were lying down on the bed watching, at the time, Limerick against Cork on the iPad. Your poor wife was sitting outside at the time while you were taking the time to watch that. And as it worked out, your safari time changed. And all that hard work to watch all the hurling on that Sunday afternoon went to waste because you couldn't even join us on the podcast last week. How did you get back without getting murdered? Yeah, ah, look, it didn't go to waste. It was all part of my research now for this week, and at least I, I was abreast anyway of of the ongoings in a no, in the hurling no. world. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah, look, it just things didn't work out last week to actually, I suppose, weigh in on on, on all the events the week before. But um, look, it was great. We, I suppose we hit a lull time during the holiday. There, we had a bit of downtime and. Just the window opened up, got to see the games, and yeah, look, there was a lot of a lot of things to take from it last week, and again, it's amazing in another week now when we see the tables where they are, like how much has changed, and what we were talking about two or three weeks ago, what we thought would happen. I mean, the examples, the likes of Wexford now, who are in a precarious position, player after coming out of the long grass, like you said, 
Mm. So it's just it's amazing over the course of a week, let's say, with the two games or with the two weekends, just how the landscape has changed with it. Well, James, maybe we can talk a little bit back to front uh, when it comes to what's happened in the weekend just gone by. We can maybe start with Clare against Tipperary because we were talking about Clare's injuries and there was all this talk that Duggan was back in training. Maybe they might just have Shane O'Donnell uh, to come in and play for the first time in effectively two years. He hadn't played a competitive game for over a year. When those two were available, it became a real game changer with compared to the panel that Clare were fielding in the league. Like Those two are elite players to be able to bring back in for that Tipperary game. Yeah, like it's, it's amazing when you introduce one or two uh, players that... Uh how the optics and the whole landscape of a team can change. Like we were sitting here seven days ago, and we were thinking, "Geez, we don't know what we're going to get from Clare." We were expecting a bit of energy and performance, but I had I personally had tipped Tipperary on the back of what they produced on Watford, and they just came out of the traps. Clare came out of the traps big time, and they got big performances from their big players. So that the likes of like Rory Hayes continued his, his what I call all star form. Um, John Conlon was excellent centre back. Peter Duggan and Shane Donnell carried the fight up the forwards, and then Tony Kelly was his usual kind of energetic self and then add in Ian Galvin and Ryan Taylor and you know all own performance like and they were just they just blew Tipperary off the park they were extremely impressive and uh, what I'm looking for now is can they back it up next week yeah well one of the things Paul I, that, that stood out about Shane O'Donnell was once upon a time when he burst onto the scene that All-Ireland final replay he was there as a finisher he was the guy at the forefront getting the ball shots at goal he was able to pull the strings a bit for Clare last weekend. Now, some of his fielding was important when Clare were mixing up their approach into the forward line and Duggan caught some great ball going in too. But O'Donnell was a great link player for them at Temple Stadium last weekend. Yeah, look, and I've marked Shane O'Donnell over the years. And I suppose Shane O'Donnell came onto the scene in, um, I suppose, in, not in an unusual way, certainly a unique way anyway, scoring three goals in an All-Ireland final. But then, I suppose, has to deal with that um, you know, the, not the stigma of that, but people expected goals out of him the whole time. I think something from marking him anyway. Um, he he's a really creative player, um, which we obviously saw over the weekend. We know him more as a finisher, but what he does is he asks a lot of questions. He makes these runs that will ask questions of a defender. So, like if he's marking Owen O'Donnell or if he's marking Ty De Burka or whoever, like let's say if he used to be out that little bit further, he doesn't concern himself with the defender too much in terms of he goes and just creates these runs kind of meandering runs and pops up in different places which can be a little bit kind of um, unnerving for a defender because he doesn't necessarily hold his position but again like we saw him getting um, assistant for a score where he, he plucked the ball out of the air I think he was competing with Ronan Marr for the ball something we don't normally associate with Shane O'Donnell but again that's just what he brings and I think what he brought he brought this kind of bit of dynamic play to the Clare forward line that they were probably missing and then likes of Duggan being back as well it just it was just this burst of energy and again I suppose the other thing and I think Anthony Daly touched on on the Sunday game was just that what he would bring to the dressing room as well because so many of those younger players you know they're obviously looking at Tony Kelly the last years but you know Clare have been unfortunate with you know Peter Duggan and these lads being away and Shane O'Donnell being away and missing the year have those lads back I'm sure is a huge thing for the for the Clare dressing room as well and then when they go out and put in a performance like that like it's very exciting for the younger players in the dressing room to be to be part of this but it was, it was brilliant, definitely, for not only the players, but for the Clare supporters to see Shane O'Donnell back and to see him contributing really well. Like, he didn't... It's like he was never away. He was just hurling really well the weekend. Well, James, that Clare forward line were flying, but the flip side to the story is Tipperary did not defend anywhere near as effectively as they did against Jeez. Waterford the week previously. And, like, as a goalkeeper, you would feel some sympathy for Brian Hogan, who made a couple of good saves. Yeah. And there was just no defender there to actually clear the ball when it came out for the second possession. So, uh, Tipperary were a mess at the back. It's amazing when, like, okay, put Cahal Barrett aside for a moment, and it's like the the five backs for Tipperary looked hungover. 
Do you know, that's the way they look because if you consider, like, and I know, I know from Brian's position, like, he pulled off two tremendous saves. The first one in particular from Peter Duggan was absolute top drawer stuff. And then to, to produce that kind of quality and then to get up and find a clear forward, not one clear forward, but two awaiting for the rebound that you'd never had a chance to save must be extremely, extremely frustrating and disappointing. And when you look at the, the shot from behind the goals and, and that camera angle and you see, you know, the clear onrunners, there's three, four clear guys coming towards the goal. And the tip guys were just jogging back. There was no, like, intent to get back and mind the house. There was no real aggression to defend. It was kind of, they nearly accepted what was going to happen. You know, the, there was kind of an attitude whereby they'd wait and see if, he's, if we save it, we save it. If a goal goes in, a goal goes in. I was amazed by it because you wouldn't associate that with, with tip over the years. You'd always, again, you'd always look at Parik Maher and, and, and Ronan Maher, to, surprisingly, and say that they'll, they'd burst a hole to get back to the goal and stop, stop him going in. So that's, look, it was surprising, um, but overall it was worrying because it was an attitude type of thing as well. And like, then when you say when Tip had the ball, I, I watched them when they were doing the sharp book outs and it's like they didn't know what they wanted to do themselves. So they, they, they'd hit the sharp book out for the sake of hitting the sharp book out and then when that happens, it's like, it's like the guy who received the ball is on his own and he's trying to make a decision. There was no collective thinking. There was no kind of real set game plan and it's just... It was a very disjointed performance from Tipperary from, from top to bottom and riddled with errors. So many errors across the park which you wouldn't associate with Tip. Mm. And then so surprisingly, like when you think seven days previous or six days previous, they produced a great performance against the Waterford team who you could say are, are close to the level of Limerick. And then they go out and produce that against Clare. I, I, I can't draw a rhyme or reason to it. And, you know, like it's it's a damaging performance and they have to get their, <laughs> straight up, they have to get their shit together or else they're out. <laughs> Simply yeah. And get it together soon. Yeah, it's not easy when you're going to Limerick in a couple of weeks' time as your uh, next fixture to try and get back into this because you know, it's a very poor start for Tipperary. They can afford really to drop no other points if they're going to qualify uh, for a Munster final. And the thing about it is, Paul, like the Clare defence scored three points. There were three points in play from the entire Tipperary starting forward line, which is a horrifically poor return given that actually they were posing Waterford all sorts of problems a week ago. Like, I wonder how much of this comes down to the fact that they emptied the tank against Waterford the week previously and then couldn't get back up to that level again the next weekend. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a lot to do with it. I mean, it's the early stages of the round robin. I don't think there could be any excuses for fatigue at this stage. I think James hit the nail on the head with one where he said it was just attitude. I mean, against Waterford, they seem to be still smarting from the league match down there and that how much of a beating they took, maybe what people were saying after him. And like you consider that we were talking about this Waterford team and still are, we're talking about them as in really the number two team in the country. Waterford looked kind of a little bit um, punch drunk even in the first half. Uh, the week previous so like that's what Tipperary are capable of doing Watford didn't even seem to know what they wanted to do with the puck out for the first half they were really under pressure you know Tyke DeBurka wasn't really an influence in the game because Noel McGrath was drifting out so they asked savage questions of him it's a week later um, you know there's no fatigue involved in, in this game whatsoever it's the same for every team you know Water are, are like uh, okay Clare had last week off fair enough but it's not a case that you've been week on week for the last while. So it really just comes down to attitude for me. And again, as, as we were saying there and as James was saying, is all you have to do is look at when the Clare lads were going through on goal and two of the goals were basically rebounds. Brian Hogan did his best to save them. And what you're looking for there is at least Brian Hogan can only do a certain amount. I mean, he saved the ball. That's the only thing he can really do. The idea that you want him to save it and then keep it from bouncing out to the Clare forward is ridiculous. That's a, that's a back's job. But there was no... You know, there was no intent there from the from the Tipperary backs to get back and actually just, you know, defend the goal and then even going forward as well. It just, 
it was like watching a completely different team from watching the Watford match. And for, for me, that just completely comes down to attitude. We can't talk about fatigue. We can't talk about injuries and all this. If they were able to do it the week before against Watford, they're completely able to do it this week against, uh, against Clare. And look, Clare just hit them. Clare, Clare didn't wait to see what Tipperary were going to bring. And again, like half-time, 13 points down. It was just... For me, anyway, complete complete attitude. And there was a few players who tried, you know, even the likes of Carl Barrett and that, they were shown, but there wasn't enough all over the pitch. And just everywhere, it just seemed to be symptomatic of the team. Their attitude all over the pitch just wasn't at the, at the level it needed to be. Feels significant as well, James, the fact that Clare had a very poor record against Tipperary at Semple Stadium, had won there in 2018. They've backed up that win now with a win in 2022. They go back to the same venue this coming week to play against Cork. And... It could work out very nicely for them, given that they had that extra week just for the injuries to clear up after the league. They obviously got themselves into a very good place from where they were coming out of the league, even though, like, and this hasn't been smart after the fact, they did hurl very well against Limerick and probably should have beaten them in Ennis. And look, they've got them in the last game of this uh, championship run in Ennis as well. But Clare actually came to the right pitch of championship. And if they go back with a performance similar, particularly to the first half of the weekend, and they beat Cork... This Clare team will have come from fifth favourites to potentially get into the final. It's, it's ghastly because like no one in the country, including ourselves, were talking about Clare uh, seven days, ago, you know, five, five days ago. Even you know, we didn't say a word about them because obviously they they'd missed the not missed the first round, but you know they were they were scheduled not to play in the first round, and now the whole place is talking about them. So it's going to be interesting to see how will they back up the their, their top level performance that they produced last weekend against a Cork team who's still reeling. Who's, who's had two weeks to think about things, you know. So I am expecting Cork to come out all guns blazing, very, very similar to the way Clare came out against Tipperary. And I'm interested to see how will Clare react to that. Because obviously when we spoke about Tipperary, we, we, I asked you, Will, did their stock go up? Yes, they did after the Waterford game. And it was like they were surprised by what Clare brought. And that's what sapped some of their energy. They didn't expect that onslaught of energy of just uh, attack and hurling. And it took the energy out of Tip and then just things went from bad to worse. So I want to see how will Clare react this weekend if Cork come with bundles of energy and bundles of intent coming off the back of a bad performance and hit them with hit them with a few things which which is what I expect to be honest and uh, will Clare will they take the best punch and give a couple back you know and I think they will I think they've good people really really good people over them and like in the likes of Sean Tracy and Brian Lohan who who bring an awful lot of energy into training and um, the decibel level will be quite high anyway that's for sure so I'd say they'll come out in 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 good form and. You know, if you ask me to call the game right now, I actually can't give you. I, I, I can, I can give pros and cons to both teams, but I'm expecting a huge performance from Cork, and I just want to see can can Clare take that and, and override it. Time will tell. Right, you hold on to those pros and cons because Paul, you can come in on where Cork are going to be at because we saw the way they hurled the Porky Queeve, particularly the way they were dominated by Limerick in that second half. Really struggled from about minute thirty-eight onwards till full time. Cork didn't get going whatsoever. People have been talking about will the defensive system change? You know, they've got issues right down the spine of their defence with the way they defended in that game, and we've highlighted a few times the way they played in the league final and faded out of that game too. What kind of a kick are you expecting out of Cork when they take to the field in Semple this weekend? Yeah, it's it's um, it's kind of a hard one to call. Like James is saying, like if they were going playing Limerick, I'd be saying, well, like I mean, your work's cut out for you here. You know exactly what your job is. But they're to a certain extent, is it fair to say they're playing an unknown quantity in Clare? I think they would have been looking at the Clare matches, you know, before the championship campaign. Not to be unfair to Clare, but that's the one. Okay, we're going to go and win that one. But now they're looking at Clare going. Okay, we have Shane O'Donnell back and we have Peter Duggan. Like something we're talking about with, with Cork is that really at the defence, do they know what they're about at defence? And that's something we're asking questions of. You know, Coleman at centre back, 
does he know where he's meant to be playing? That's, for me, coming from management, telling him where he's meant to be playing or what to do in certain situations. Well, he's about to go out and potentially have Tony Kelly roaming around. I think that's what Clare will possibly do is, you're starting centre-forward. Now, ask the question, does Coleman follow you or does Coleman sit back and do they send Tim O'Mahony after him? Well, but Clare can now ask those questions. And never mind ask those questions. They can have Ian Galvin in behind causing serious problem because he's electric. And he can cause problems there for any, any of the Cork full back line. You have now Shane O'Donnell, who's just going to be making runs, who's just unpredictable in many ways. He'll get the ball into his hand and he'll take on the Cork defence. Um, and you're going to have Peter Duggan, who's just an extremely creative player, a really smart player, a great hurler. So now Clare are in the position to ask savage questions of Cork. What Cork do, it's, it's, it's again another unknown quantity what Cork are going to do. I, I, I kind of fancy Cork for this one, just that they'll have enough to come out and actually win it. Um, do... Like, I mean, we saw Limerick overpower them completely uh, in Cork, but Clare obviously don't have that power at the moment to completely overpower them. But they certainly, if they get a run on them, we've seen this Clare team over the last few years that when they have all their players to select from and they get a run on the team, they, they build savage momentum and it can be very hard to stop. So I think, you know, Cork potentially could start this game very nervy, you know, because they're reeling a small bit from the first match. They're trying to get back into it. They're trying to steady the ship. But I don't think Clare are going to give them that time. I think Clare are going to come at them the way they came at Tipperary and say, look, we're not going to wait to see what Cork are going to bring to this game. We're going to bring our own thing a week on from where they played and bet Tipperary in the back garden. So it, there's so many interesting things with this game, but I think it could be a really, really good game because you have this, you have Clare who are on the rise now at the moment and who have the sniff of, of a Munster final, which a lot of people would have said no chance of, but now they have it. And you have Cork who are now, before this championship started, you know, real favourites to get into a Munster final. And they're kind of reeling. So you kind of have two teams at two different situations. And I, I just, But I still expect Cork to come true. To give Cork the benefit of the doubt, I still think they're really, you know, they do have that quality to come true. But I don't think Clare are going to make it easy for them. And if Clare come out of this with a win over the weekend, I, I too wouldn't be surprised at that. James, do you think Cork are going to make any substantial changes then, given that they've had yeah. a couple of weeks now to have a think about it? It is difficult to switch things around in Championship, but maybe if they look at the tape and analyse the way they've defended for the last couple of games, they might feel they want to do something different. I know when we get to the listener questions later, we've had two or three questions in this week saying, surely the idea should be put Coleman slightly further forward, whether that's midfield, centre-half forward, maybe move Omani slightly further forward and bring in different players into defence. It seems the Cork public are kind of crying out for changes but are Kieran Kingston and his management team likely to make changes to their defence in the middle of a championship stream? I think they've no choice, to be honest. I think they were, they, 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 I won't say they were shown up, that, that's a bit disingenuous, but they, they certainly their, their flaws were highlighted badly against Limerick on a couple of occasions. Um, now, just to listen to Paul talk there about Tony Kelly at, at 11, and you can be sure they're going to start Tony Kelly at 11 and give him the, you know, the free reign to play, score where you want Tony and, and occupy, let's say, Mark Coleman. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a man-marking job doing Tony Kelly from like a German type person and Cork playing with seven defenders playing with a sweeper. You know, we wouldn't associate that with that Cork primarily. With, with you know, we, we'll, we'll, uh, we, we've seen them with kind of a ball or tension kind of game plan over the last couple of years trying to nearly mirror the, mirror the game plan that Limerick, Limerick produced. But they have to do something drastic. They cannot allow Tony Kelly to, to dictate the play and to open up the whole centre channel for Clare to run through. So they're going to have to occupy that channel get Tony Kelly onto a man marker and then have someone in the middle. So I think if if Mark Corman doesn't have to, I suppose, worry about Tony Kelly and he's been man marked by, by others, I think you can see Corman stay in the sixth position. But if, if, if Corman has to go marking Tony Kelly, 
Well, I think that's about the problem, to be honest. I don't. I. I wouldn't like to sound like that myself now because uh, Kelly's a. He's a, a. He's a smart hurler. He's. He's very very smart forward. He's deadly getting into different pockets of space, occupying space. It's like we were talking about Keen Lynch. He may not have the most on the scoreboard, but he. He wants such attention that he opens up and you know situations for other players and gives them opportunities to to play well. The likes of O'Donnells and the Duggans, etc. So, um, that's the biggest test for Cork, really. Like. If, if they can get supply of ball into their forwards, their forwards will do damage. I, I don't think the issue is that. Um, I think they'll, they'll have learned a lot over the Limerick game the last two weeks ago, and, and certainly from creating space inside and from movement and having energy inside there. That has to change because they can't produce what they produce against Limerick, or otherwise you know, they're in for a short championship, to be honest. So I think the focus is on, is on the defence. It's been well documented by us. It's been well documented by people in, in other hurling circles that the defence is an issue. And if they're going to progress in a championship, you have to fix your defence like championships are built on defence like every team who wins has a rock solid defence in any sport regardless of, of soccer rugby whatever it is your, your defence is, is primary so if Cork are to, are to move on they have to fix their defence but they can't do it you know today and then it'll be fine they nearly have to do it over the course of time somewhat uh, if you know what I mean I don't think they can make such a drastic decision by putting someone in at six straight away and expect them to produce uh type of stuff that Declan Hannon could or, 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 or John Connell could so I, it's, it, there's so many variables so many like ways that we can talk about this topic and it's like you only have to wait and see what happens on the weekend and then we'll talk about it next week you know Yeah I mean to that point Sarah Nell the former Dublin and Cork Muggy player was on OTB last week and was speaking about this and she was saying like it's not entirely down to personnel a lot of this is an attitude as a team and she was making the point that if you look at what Waterford and Limerick are doing defensively at the moment it's all about work rate it's about swarming around tackles it's about having that Paul that kind of I guess the desire to get back even if it means that you're not even going to get near the ball you have to be able to sprint back and be in a position to try and cut off a run and if they don't do that against Clare like we saw how good Tony Kelly's off the ball movement was last weekend against Tipperary if Cork aren't on it and they defend like they did at times against Limerick or as they did in the league final, that Clare forward line has got all the firepower to give them loads of problems this weekend. Yeah, that, that that's exactly it. And, you know, like we're saying with the likes of Limerick and these lads and, and Waterford, like Liam Cal basically came out and said it a few weeks ago that the, the team is based on work rate and, you know, who's willing to work hard. And if you look at Limerick, uh, for all the talk of, you know, obviously they have great players all over the pitch. You look at the likes of Graham Mulcahy. I, like, I can see why Graham Mulcahy is there. He he starts the work rate right up in the far 21. He's hounding the goalkeeper. He's hounding the full back. Um, like he, he's in causing problems goalkeeper catches the ball and he's in he's in on top of him straight away the ball is fed out and he's still running after him like he's not there for his goal scoring abilities or even his points he's there because he causes savage problems up there and that's that's what they provide and then tracking back even boiling at the moment at full forward you know he's providing serious work rate and breaking up play and flicking out balls and which is a platform for Limerick to go forward on so you can see what they're about going back to Cork then like Cork have real identifiable problems in their backline. So it's easy for Claire to look at them and go, okay, this is what they don't like. They don't like when they have to turn and face back towards their own goal and be chasing back because they, they just don't seem to know what they're doing. So I, I would say what Claire will be doing on the weekend will be a case of getting the half forward line to come right out towards midfield, make the Cork foot, uh, half back line come right out and then you're going to have runners going in behind. You're, you're going to have Galvin in at the full forward line anyway, causing problems. But I think that's where you're going to see the reel around then. Like you can even see John Conlon breaking through the middle there. But they're going to ask the question of bring the Cork half, half back line right out. But on the flip side of that is, 
Cork may 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 actually put in the changes necessary. Like they may say, "Listen, lads, we're going to play. We're going to sit really deep here off the back of the Limerick. We're going to sit really deep here." But again, I agree exactly with that point that she was making. That I don't think it's a personnel problem either. You could do all these changes, and you could put Tim Amani up, and you can move Coleman. But you know, Mark Coleman's one of the best hurlers in the country. And for me, if he doesn't really know what's going on in centre back. I think the real problem is there is that Cork don't really know what they're about in terms of they have a plan A but what's plan B when it's not going well what's you know when we're going back towards a goal what are we meant to be doing man marking who's who's marking who because a lot of the time the problems we see with Cork is that players drift and there's no one accounting for them so is it zonal is what we're doing or so there's lots of questions there for Cork I'd agree I think it's more of a tactical thing that they have to figure out for themselves because there's some weeks here we're complimenting Cork and how really good they are going forward but the one consistent thing comes up is going backwards so they have the personnel there they have the hurlers there's no doubt about it but I would agree that I think it's a tactical thing that they need to sort out they have the personnel necessary to win these games James just to pick up on we were talking about the puckouts last week and we particularly put a focus on Galway and not long after you and I were chatting I got sent a message by Sean Flynn who was writing a piece for the 42 about short puckouts and I thought it was quite interesting you had picked up on Galway I hadn't realised how stark it had been when they were going short in the second half I remember they were kind of going one step and then a longer pass into the opposition half they retained only 9% of their own puckouts from a short puckout that actually made it to the other half of the field that generally it was actually a short puck out to a defender, defender going either one more pass or long, and they lost possession on 10 of the 11 puck outs. Remarkably enough, Cork the week before uh, against Limerick as well, so this isn't for last weekend because obviously Cork weren't playing, uh, Cork against Limerick retained only five of their 23 puck outs where they went short and after Collins had poked the ball out, they tried to go longer as well. It's amazing when we talk about teams pressing up on puckouts and what happens afterwards. It's amazing how ineffective those two teams were on weekend one on their short puckouts, wasn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Um, and like, you talk about plan A, plan B, plan C, and I, I, I can talk about this till, till the cows come home about the puckouts and everyone looks at the goalkeeper and they say, geez, why do you puck it there? Why do you do that? But it's, it's all collective. Like, the goalkeeper, I often say to our, our guys at home in the club, instead of the goalie guys, like, I don't dictate where the ball goes. Like, you dictate where the ball goes judging by your movement. So if you offer enough space or a good lane or a good line and say, we'll give it the ball. Granted, we might miss the odd one, but nine times out of ten, we'll give it the ball. That's exactly what Nicky Quaid is doing with Lillenberg. He's just waiting. He's waiting to see what develops, who gives him the best option, and then he hits it. And if, if, if no option develops or no, or no, let's say no 70-30 develops, he pumps it down to where those numbers, <laughs> when you have the likes of Hegarty and Morrissey and these lads who can you know, retain any type of rook ball, you know, they're, they're on to winner there. But let's say take the Galways, take the Wexford, take the Corks. Like, it's the, that amount of possession loss on your long puck out, you know, obviously statistically speaking, it doesn't look good. But if you can maintain enough pressure up there that when the ball hits the rook and you can maintain a Wexford can't get out or a, or a Limerick can't get out and they poke the ball into your middle third, that's not too bad. That's all right. It's if, if they turn you over, like win their puck out and then break free where they've numbers running. Case in point, think about the last puck out in the Goyle Wexford game whereby we were dispossessed and uh, runner up to the middle, we'd create a foul and next thing is a draw. That's a bad situation. But if you can have a full court press whereby, yes, we'll put the ball down in the 13 corner or the 15 corner, we'll press up on top of you then when you have the ball and if he can't get out, we'll turn you over just like Limerick. 
So like Limerick get, I heard a statistic, um, well, I can't be sure of it now, but I'm going to say it's somewhere in the in the region, like 70-odd percent of Limerick scores against Cork were, were generated from like turnovers or something, or something of the sort, you know? So yeah, they're I, think looking it was, at, I think it was 71% of their scores were getting the ball back from the opposition, yeah. So they're looking at the opposition saying, right, we're going to actually use your game plan against you. We're going to take the ball off you in play and put it over the bar. So if you have a situation to book out whereby you've got a collective agreement, we're going to fire it down there in the far corner if we win it fantastic if we don't we'll put so much, so much pressure on them through work rate and through good tackling let's say that we'll turn them over in a good zone you're in a shooting zone straight away if you can turn them over within your own 65 well it's your own 45 nowadays the, the range is so long but the puck out is the science you know when things click lovely it looks like Limerick and you'll often look at Keane Lynch and, and Hegarty and you're saying to yourself how will they pop it into such space but if you watch the Limerick lads like for every probably 8 and 10 puck outs they stay in around the middle if you can picture the big poles of the nets, you know the nets behind the goals, picture the big poles, they stay in around that. And then they just break in different directions in at different times. That's that's all they do. Do you know what I mean? And then the other two out ten times, they occupy a wing and Nicky fires it down. So it's not like as if they've got this big scientific game plan. He just he just gets a situation presented to him by the forwards and Nicky takes it. And he's so good at taking it at this stage now that it looks like a fine art stage. Yeah, just to highlight how good Limerick are at retaining possession when they go short and work it. So Limerick at Porky Cueve at 18 puckouts, 13 of them ended up being retained by a Limerick player when it went into the opposition half. So that's 72%. Next best on weekend one was Wexford on 36. So it just goes to show yeah, what a difference Limerick have. Do you know what they do, right? So like if, if, if teams go three and three, so three full back line, three half back line, right? That's, that's what opposition would expect. When you're setting up a, an opposition puck out, you're expecting to go three and three, but Limerick put four and four. So you'll often see Jim and Burns going back into the two corner. Do you ever notice that? Mm. And they create four players then, and then they bring back their two midfielders in to create another four. So the Cork forwards are looking at this and saying, we've only got six. How, how can we push up on this? Ball goes out to a full back line. Next team have got four options, the half back line, and runners coming through. No one can do a thing with it. They just can't do a thing with it because it's something. It's, it's unorthodox and it's something that teams have never seen before. You can move in and out. You can go close to the sideline. You know, come in field. That's something that you. It's obvious, like you know, that every team will prepare for that. But when you introduce bigger numbers into that zone of, let's say, within your own fifty-yard line, opposition teams don't know how to contract it. Mm. Paul, something else that Limerick do extremely effectively, and this was picked up by a few of the stats watchers at the weekend too. They had four sidelines which they took short and didn't even attempt to pass it too far forward it was literally a short three or four yard pass ball comes back and it's worked for a score they kind of remind me a little bit of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona now um, remember they went and Darrow Donovan took a sideline against you guys in 2019 it was 50-50 and ended up going out probably should have been a 65 Limerick are now more than happy to just work it short and try and take a sideline as an extra possession and just recycle the ball and keep going again uh, that has to be something conscious they're doing if they went short that often against Waterford at the weekend yeah it's, it's just uh, like I think you can apply what Limerick are doing like to the short hookouts and to the sidelines Limerick aren't afraid to pick up the ball when the man is only a yard or two or three behind him. Whereas traditionally, that's kind of taken in Hurland that that's actually, that ball isn't on. But Limerick, that ball is always on with Limerick. They're not afraid if there's a man behind them a yard or two to pass it to that player because they have the belief and the confidence that the players are skillful enough, strong enough, have all the tools needed to not only win that ball, but then to actually go forward and do something productive with it that they're not going to actually lose it. So, yeah, like I, I think it's, it's definitely something that... Um, they're definitely consciously doing. It's not a case of they wait till the match and go, oh, sure, look, there's nothing on. I'm just going to take a chance on this. Like I was marking, 2019, I was marking Casey and something he would do was that 
he would walk away from the sideline like he wouldn't he, he never took a sideline but he would walk away from it as if he had nothing to do with it and turn and sprint back at it and he didn't really care if you were two yards behind him or a yard behind him he was just creating creating that yard that's all he was doing he didn't care that he was trying to get 10 yards away from you so it's something that they don't really mind as far as they're concerned if they win the ball be it from a short puck out and as long as they have four lads there with three let's say opposition players up trying to mark them but they're only marking space because he can't cover the four men that's enough that's okay I can give it to Dermot Burns he's in five yards of space why because I believe Dermot Burns is going to get that ball into his hand and Sean Finn I know Sean Finn is going to be running off the shoulder I pop it to Sean Finn I know you know you're going to have someone coming deep and there's going to be someone off the shoulder Mike Casey's going to be off the shoulder whatever the exact same principle they're doing to the sidelines they're going I'm looking over there now I see Groad Hegarty I see Willow Dunahoo with a half yard of space I know that them boys are going to get that ball into their hand and once they get the ball into the hand it's the principle of there's going to be a man off that they can just pop the ball away and that's that just seems to be what they're doing so I don't think they look at it necessarily as in the sideline or a short free or a puck out or whatever they look at the principle that if there's a player that has a yard or two of space they see that as that player is free I can give the ball to that player and the player receiving is fully aware that that can happen as well so what I think they're just trying to do is they're, tra- they're just creating gains in every area of the pitch. Traditionally, if you were marking them for a sideline or any team for a sideline, you will go and watch any club game. If you afford a club player the space that, let's say, uh, Limerick are afforded, if you offer a club player that space, th- they look at it and go, I'm not going to pass it to that player because that, that pass isn't on. But with Limerick, it is on because they just believe half a yard, a yard of space, that's enough. And what way can we turn this sideline, whereas with Watford, Austin Deason will just cut it over the bar. Limerick look at it, well, maybe a better percentage chance here is pass the ball short, into the hand, recycle it back out, score over the bar. So I just think they're looking, the, the gains are just everywhere with Limerick. And the, the, the sidelines is just symptomatic of that, that they're just everywhere. They're just making savage inroads into where, we, where can we get this ball over the bar? Where can we make a chance out of this? James, big picture then about the Gaelic grounds on Saturday. I thought, firstly, really good game. Great intensity about it. Um, scoring versus Limerick wins the game for them in the third quarter if there were still water breaks now at this stage. But I thought they were worthy winners. But how do we assess this? Is this a Limerick team who are missing 20% of their All-Ireland starting team and probably as vulnerable as they'll ever be when Keane Lynch then goes off during the game too? Did Waterford miss a chance here? Or do we focus on the fact that Waterford were beaten by double digits the last two times they played Limerick in championship games and they were able to score two goals and bring that margin right down? What's your feeling coming out of it? Chance missed or indications that Waterford are closing the gap? Um, I just wanted to see, let's say, if, if Limerick did prevail. This is, this is my thinking before the game. If Limerick prevailed, I want to see how, how close Waterford have closed the gap. And when they win seven up, it, it felt the same. <laughs> it felt the same, honestly. Even though you're looking across the Limerick team and saying, Jesus, there's no Kyle Hayes, Seamus Lennigan, Peter Casey, Keane Inch. You're like, my God, you're talking about four of Limerick's best players and they're not, they're not on the pitch. And it's just, it was, you know what, the, the, the word I used with it was frightening. It was frightening how good Limerick are. And they completely nullified Tide de Burka. You know, I, I, I did think that Watford losing Irla Daly wasn't settling. Because you know, he was doing okay on Galan, you could say okay. Galan kind of exploded after 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 Daly goes off, but he it was unsettling a bit. But it just seemed like Limerick had enough, like, and it always comes down to shots. Like Limerick would always have always every game above forty shots in championship. So like if you're not if you're not matching their shot selection and their efficiency, you're in trouble. So if you're considering okay, two goals, it's great, fantastic. But in terms of scoring opportunities with Limerick, they're going to get their 32, 30, 32 points every day. They're going to shoot between forty and forty five, and if they're like in ridiculous form, they'll get fifty shots. So and they'll hit sixty percent of that, if not sixty-five. 
So you have to match that. And there's no team putting out those numbers at the moment. So that's what I'm coming away thinking. God, Limerick are still producing 45-odd shots. They're still have an efficiency rate of 70%. So who who is who's putting up those numbers to try and challenge them, even when they don't have four of their best players? And there's nobody at the moment. So I came away thinking that like, if we're given the power rankings again, Limerick have gone to... Obviously, they're in first, don't get me wrong, but there's no one in a close in a close second. Now, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any team, but you're seeing that, that as I said last week, Watford gave their best punch. You know, got the two goals. You're thinking, mm, they're back in it here again, but Limerick just had enough. And they had shots at the end there with Reedy and Pat Ryan and Galen and whatnot that they could have tacked on a few more points. Carl O'Neill, when he gets a bit hotter, those wides have turned to points. You know, so it's like they've filled the gaps of the people who, uh, who they're missing. And when you can afford to take your all-star full-back and put them out to wing-back, you know, as if, as if, and nothing changes in your team. Like, there's no there's no issue with the balance of the team, with the way it's played, or the game plan. It's all business as usual. God, God, it's, it's extremely impressive. And I don't think any other team in the country has the ability to do that. You well, can take your full-back. You know, it's unreal. I was going to say, Joe Brawley would kill me for uh, pulling up different stats and bits, but um, this is from Statsman on Instagram, who was keeping track of the shots that took place at the Gaelic Grounds. And again, just to speak about the consistency, Paul, that James has just mentioned, 41 shots from Limerick, 30 scores. That seems to be just par for the course of them in pretty much every championship game now. Like, unbeaten in 12 championship matches. This is just what Limerick do time after time, and that's even if two of the best hurlers in the country aren't playing. Yeah, and it just goes back to, I think, just it's it's the principle of what they're doing. It's not a case of they're randomly taking shots. Um, regardless of what personnel they have on the pitch, the Limerick, um, I suppose, the, 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 the Limerick plan is that they're going to shoot from good places. They do take long shots and so on. And we saw Tom Arcee getting a good point from near the sideline within the 21. But look, it's that kind of big D area that you're talking about there. They're kind of a larger D that, you know, um, tacticians will talk about it. They're the most high percentage chance of places where you're going to get scores from on the pitch. And Limerick have just the, the ability to work the ball into those areas. But they also got a few great scores. I think Colin O'Neill got one from on the sideline out near the 65 in the second half. And But that, that's a kind of a confidence thing. Once they start getting the scoreboard going, they start taking these shots. Whereas you look at other teams, there's something taking these shots at the start of the game and they're they're not finding their way into the game and there's no real pattern to what they're doing. But Limerick can just create these chances. And then outside of that, they will go for their shots. You'll have Dermot Burns popping up taking a long range shot or you'll have the likes of that inspiration stuff of Cahill O'Neill and you know Tom Morrissey, okay, out near the sideline, but he believes he's in a good position to get a point. So you will still have that. But the majority of their scores, which I think is more reflected in the wides, or the lack thereof that they have like, you know, 10 and 11 wides a game. They're not racking up 20 wides in a game. That just shows that they're not shooting from everywhere. That, okay, we are hitting wides, but generally we're taking shots from really good positions. Which I think is just, that just shows the dominance of the power. That they're able to get themselves into those positions. And as a result, you're not taking these crazy shots from everywhere. But the funny thing is about Limerick, is that shows how good they are. They're still capable of getting those scores. They're still capable of popping up. And because they're such good hurlers, you know, they can take a chance on taking that the ball down the sideline on the 21 striking and because they're I suppose they're creating that nice little leverage for themselves that you know generally 90% of the time they're shooting from really good places so yeah like it's an interesting stat but probably a stat we all know that they're they're just so accurate they're so lethal any sort of a chance they're able to work the ball around and just get scores and they're not they're not shooting the ball needlessly over the shoulder like like one or two other teams when they're trying to find their feet in the game yeah, James, I think we tried to, at different times, search in the dark for issues that might be that could catch up with Limerick at some point. And one of them was, we discussed before, that they've been very loyal to a core group of players in the previous three, four seasons that have generally started. 
But here we are now. Kyle Hayes misses his first championship game under John Kiley. No problem. Boylan comes in, plays quite well. Colin O'Neill had a couple of times when he snatched the shots, but he's a young player. He's going to learn from that. As Paul just mentioned, he got some great scores during the game. He's emerged as a player who you'd be more than comfortable starting a championship game in the half-forward line. I think, like They're achieving this with Casey out, with Flanagan out long-term. They're achieving this with Keane Lynch been out for nearly all of the game uh, last Saturday night. You know, Kyle Hayes not available. And yet Limerick's second string and what they have from the bench. They got five points on the bench at the weekend. I think Waterford had minimal return from the subs that came into the game. And we've been talking about Waterford's strength and depth. Maybe we underestimated how much Limerick actually have in the panel. Yeah, I, I, I put my hand up and I didn't think they'd be as good when you take out the sort of, I said at the start of the year, Will, I said, God, if, 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 if one or two of their big players gets a couple of knocks and you take them out of the team, have they got the guys to replace them? We mentioned the likes of Lynch and we said Flanagan at the time. And here we are, we're proving, of course they can replace them because the guys go in and they do a specific job. You know, When you have a guy like Gillan who's shooting the lights out uh, and Conor O'Neill who can get into space and Hegarty who can do what he, he does from shooting and then you've got your midfielders and centre-back and we everyone shoots. Like, it's, it's just it's common knowledge that Limerick are going to get, like Jim and Burns now, I'm expecting them to have six, shot, six shots a day. You know, that's, that's, and he's the flipping wing back, like, you know, six shots a day. It's like, it's... It's just madness what, what they went down. I, I said once ago about Jimmy Burns, would you drive your crack if you're a corner forward? But like he's popping five, six pints a game, so how can you, I can't say a word to him, you know? But like, uh, it's just frightening. That's the only word I use again because I, I expect when Keelan went off, I was kind of rubbing my hands together and I was saying, right, let's see now what they'll produce, you know? That they're missing a couple of big guys and didn't take too long for me to me to get the answer. <laughs> you know, the, uh, they're a fabulous team. Like, and I, I, I'm as I said when they finished Ireland last year, I, I, you feel privileged to watch them. That's that's not been, you know, trying to be blow them up too much. Like I said, but you, you get these teams who are gener- generational. Like, and so that's why you feel privileged to watch a team who, when they're going at full throttle, it's just it's lovely to watch and see what other teams can throw at them. And and so far, every team throws something at them, and they'll throw something different in their own way. But Limerick have all the answers. Like they just. It seems like Limerick have the same game plan, but mm. no one can take it down. That's it. They can they, they they have the same game plan and they have the clientele and the power to do so. Their tackling is fucking ferocious. Like like Will, I don't know who is like a, a truck there in the in the in the midfield of the park. Like he's he's unreal. And you asked me last week who's their most un- undervalued player or underestimated player, and I said Nicky. And after the weekend, I was kind of going, "Geez, Will, I don't know who is just he's surreal. Like he's a great man to have in the engine room. He's a Michael Finlay 2.0. You know, so like when you have the people who can who can do what they can do, it's it's going to be so hard to beat them this year. Well, Paul, you had to deal with trying to mark Aaron Gillan previously, and he really came to life. Look, when Irla Daly came off, like he was having a decent game in Gillan before he came off, and then they tried three different markers after that, and Gillan pretty much cleaned everyone out uh, during the game. It's not that long ago. I remember chanting to Seamus Hickey after the Tipperary game last year about the fact Galan was on the bench and he was quick to point out that they were benching Galan almost to keep him motivated. It was a case of you need to make sure that he's fighting for his place. Well, what a way to respond if you're Aaron Galan coming into championship with the two performances he's just put in. His shooting was a bit wayward at times in the league. Perfect shot uh, down in Porky Cueve the first week and really came to life when his team needed him in that Waterford game too. Yeah, I think it's it's really great man management out of John Kiley, if I'm if if, if I'm to be honest. Um, the start of the league, Aaron Galan was taken off at half time against Wexford. Um, you know, wasn't very effective, and you know, John Kiley wasted no time taking him off the pitch. And I think that's something we, we can talk about lots of things about great management, and it's not to take away from Aaron Galan's performance. I mean, it was a great personal performance for him over the weekend. But I think the platform that created that was that. 
again, it's that management of him that, okay, maybe you have to take him off. That's not to insult the player, but all players have to be managed in a certain way. And I think if any player thinks he's going to be on the team because of past performances, you're not doing a service to that player to leave him on the pitch. So like the likes of John Kiley there, no problem. I'll put Reedy on the freeze. You know, you come off there. It's, it's, I need lads off. I need lads when they're, the opposition have the ball that they're going to be tackling, they're going to be fighting. I also need you to be winning your own ball. Like that 50-50 ball that comes in, you need to win that. You're not just here to finish off goals or get points. And I think, again, that got the bit between the teeth for Aaron Gillan at the start of the league. He got his reminder and, you know, you're looking over your shoulder then look at all these lads who were coming in or busting the door down to try and get a jersey. Cahill O'Neill and these lads. So you're very quick to realise that, you know, I need to perform here or I'll be sitting on the bench because we have an abundance of lads coming through. So at the weekend, I think that's what we saw. We saw that fuel there, that motivation. I mean, he was absolutely exceptional. And like that... Watford tried so many players on him and just couldn't find a result and I don't think there was an answer for Aaron Gillan at the weekend when he does that there is no answer for him I think there's lots of players well there's good few players like that Dizzy Hutchinson I think is another player that mm. you know if he does, if, if he's on form that day and he's really at the pitch of his game and, and there's many Shane O'Donnell and these lads there's, there's so many players who are just capable of doing this but Aaron Gillan is definitely one of them but again I just think it comes down to John Kiley knows what he has there in, in the talent he has but he has to manage it in a certain way and, and look every player is like that every player needs to be managed in a certain way it needs to be built up maybe needs to be taken down a peg or two at different times every player has their own little things that make them tick and I think John Kiley has figured out with Gillan how to manage him I think Gillan recognises that as well and I think what we're seeing here is and hopefully he'll prove it right is that a maturity in Galan like he's a young player and he's still developing and I think he's he's realising this that to be consistently part of this team he needs to consistently perform and it was just an electric performance out of him the weekend and really like you know it was the platform that often we're talking about Keen Lynch being the platform that, that the Limerick forward line and when Keen Lynch went away the weekend okay Carl O'Neill came in and got a great score and you know got on a few balls but Gillan was the man keeping the show on the road at the forward line in terms of keeping the scoreboard going. So, great performance out of him. But like that, I nearly just remind myself of the start of the league when we were talking about um, him being taken off at half-time down below in Wexford Park to see the performance that he put in over the weekend. So, it's, it's a credit to him. But again, you know, he needs to keep putting these performances in. He's capable of doing it. But again, John Kiley will be making sure that he is at the pitch of his game by man-managing correctly, which I think he's done brilliantly so far. Yeah, like as an observer, Paul, on the telly or in press grounds watching him play, I can only think it makes Limerick harder to defend against if Galan is really on it like he was at the weekend. Because like they love to run the ball, and we mentioned they love to pop the pass to each other and shoot out the field. But Galan keeps the defence really honest because of his movement in front of goal. And like he's so good at winning his own possession too. You can't afford to push up too far if Galan is going to be in near the house. He is, yeah, yeah. Like He's he's asking a lot of questions now with defences and... Again, I, I refer back to that time that, you know, when we played him in 2019, when we were preparing for them, it was, you know, a big question was, was the space in front of the full forward line and that they'd be hitting Galan, they'd be hitting Mulcahy and these guys. And that, that was something we were really focused on and aware of. And like Huey Lawler was marking him that day. And Huey done a great job. But even doing a great job, Galan got on a good few balls and showed how dangerous he is. His hurl is like a wooden spoon as well. It's a tiny hurl. So the idea that if he wins the ball, you're going to be there hooking and blocking him and that you're going to be all over him. It's, it's actually it's very hard with him because like not to say it, it sounds like that simple because the hurl is small but the, an inch or two on a hurl to get a hook or to get a flick is huge you know so once Gillan gets the ball in his hand there's it, it's a very hard job to try and dispossess him because he's quite clever as well he's very able to, he, he's capable of making the space to get his own score but he's also not afraid to recycle it so 
half the battle and it might sound stupid to say but half the battle with Aaron Galan is to try and get out there first and win the ball and I know a lot of lads will say sure that's the same for every player but the problem is with Galan is that he creates these runs that he'll, he's going left to right in the full forward line he doesn't stay in the one position and he, he has a great understanding with the players out the pitch in terms of that ball landing in front of him but he's now also showing really well that he's capable of winning the ball in the air we've seen it in the league that he's actually won quite a few more balls than we'd associate with him uh, in the air which is another angle to him now which is making him even more dangerous but we often see it's just he has it down to a fine art of this drifting in the full forward line and by the time the camera pans to him if you're watching it from at home he has about five or six yards of space on the defender and he's now running to the ball at 50% speed because he's getting the ball into his hand deciding what he's going to do next and that's because of the work he's doing off the ball so it, you know he, he's really looking like he's he's bringing his game up if, if, if the weekend is not to go by that he's bringing it to another level if he keeps doing these performances, I mean, he'd be nearly issuing for her of the year with racking up scores like that. But look, again, he's going to have to deal with being another marked man. Um, he's always been a marked man over the last few years, but like the likes of Keane Lynch not being there now and, and team seeing what Gillan is doing, you know, his cards will be marked. But I think it's a confidence thing with him. If he's hurling like that, it's going to be very hard to stop him. James, let's have a chat about maybe some of the positives Waterford can take from the game then. Because... When Limerick go on that scoring burst and it looks like, again, they're about to take control of a game, it almost feels like, you know, previous meetings between the teams or the way Limerick were going in Porky Cueve, Waterford fought back and you were talking about maybe landing a couple of punches. They landed two goals and they've struggled to score goals against John Kiley's Limerick before. I'm sure when they look back on this game, they will say, we didn't die and we put two goals past them. This could be the first of three meetings this year. Yeah, like we, we asked <clears throat> last week, like, can they mix it with Limerick physically? So that that's that box ticked. Yes, they can. Like, I, I don't know how the ref ref the game at the weekend because I couldn't differentiate a free from not a free. Do you know, there was just, there were so many hits and slaps and body checks and you name it. It was, it was a great, it was a great spectacle for us to watch it. I'd say it was a different story for the ref, but it was a, it, it was a very, very physical encounter. So yes, Waterford can match Limerick physically. No problem. Put that aside. Uh, scoring perspective, their efficiency just needs to be better. You know, there's some long shots that they chose you know, from cornerbacks and whatnot, that just wasn't the right thing to do. And I think they'll learn from it. I know we say this again, this is their third, fourth time playing Limerick in as many years, but they, they, they have to, you have to learn fast against Limerick. You really have to learn fast and you have to do most things right, if not everything right. So if you get an opportunity of a shot, it must fall to a person who has a larger percentage of scoring than, than let's say, your cornerbacks, such, to be honest. Um, they landed two goals. No, like, like Limerick, <clears throat> Limerick don't have a slam shot defence. Like they, they have conceded goals in the past before, but against Watford, they haven't. So that's a plus. Um, and Desi Hutchinson, in fairness, like Sean Finn kind of had him in the pocket for the last, the last, the last while, and like Desi should have got the ball more when when that game was heading into the when they got the second goal and Desi was on fire. Give the ball to Desi, except there was a couple of shots taken by, you know, by defenders that shouldn't have happened. It just takes the energy out of a team, and you think, God, if Desi gets that ball, you're into a draw game again, you know. So like, just thinking their way through with a small bit better. But they ran fierce well at them. Like you think, consider the the Aussie Gleeson opportunity where he. He whipped the ball across the goal. Another day that comes off. You know, you look at the, the, the goal he scored against Cork a few years ago. Another day that comes off. And it's just, they're not that far away. But just that particular game, the way it felt was Limerick were a few points better. I know the scoreline doesn't necessarily say that. It was only three points in the end. But it felt like we were assessing the game as a whole that Limerick probably had six or seven over Watford, to be honest. So you're saying, God, is there much of a difference? But I think Liam Cattle will look back and say, you know, he probably had his own challenges put to the, put to the Watford players. Um, obviously a victory is, is a combination of all those challenges but when he looks at the way they, they, they went up against them physically they ran at them uh, and they, they didn't shy back from Anton they, they did okay on a defensive perspective like not too bad he, there is some 
some good positives to take forward there. Now the, now the focus has to be away from Limerick. Just forget about them. Get through your Munster Championship. Win the rest of your games. That's very important. So forget about what, what has happened a few days ago. Focus on the next game. Get through them and get to a Munster final. And look, it's not the be all end all if they don't get to a Munster final. But in terms of the momentum, you want another crack. You want to get exposed to playing Limerick as much as possible to get to know them even better every day you play them. So every day is a learning curve. You either win or you learn. And so the more days you play Limerick, the more you learn. So head for a Munster final, take them on again and just see where it goes from there. To pick up on that point, Paul, about the Munster final or not the Munster final, look, Waterford still have to get results against Cork and Clare if they're going to qualify for a Munster final or to qualify out of the province. But this was discussed on Anthony Daly's podcast yesterday afternoon too. This idea that it wouldn't maybe be the end of the world for Waterford if they were to finish up in third place in Munster and to be on the other side of the draw to Limerick so that you don't have to play them again in the Munster final. Will that even enter their thinking in any way at all? I, I don't think so because um, like for for Waterford not to be in the Munster final now, like another scalp kind of has to be taken off them for, for them not to be in the Munster final, which I don't think is good preparation. I think the only one... The only scalp that Watford are happy enough to concede at the moment is is, is Limerick because we're all talking of it and I'd say Lim- Watford considered as well they're the number two team in the country and they're trying to get to the pitch to beat this Limerick team but in order for them to come third another result has to be taken off them really and I think that's more of a dilemma from Watford than being beaten over the weekend because like James is saying you know they're, they're not that far away like I mean Limerick just looked like they were strong enough and again the Limerick team that were missing players were strong enough to keep them at arm's distance at all time over the weekend now they got two quick shot goals then and you know probably not to say I put a bit of a gloss on, on the scoreline but it did in many ways because Limerick were looking to push away and you know two good goals I suppose particularly the one with Stephen Bennett the ball into Caleb Lyons was just an exceptional goal which showed Watford are capable of doing it but again could we say that maybe Limerick dropped down the, the tempo a small bit as they were, I suppose, creating that bit of space, the gap opened up, Stephen Bennett got through. Does that happen earlier in the game? I don't know. But look, certainly Waterford have shown they're capable of getting goals now, which is a plus. They can take things from the game. But I think if Waterford want to go and win this All-Ireland, they just have to do it the one way, straight up the middle. And that is, don't lose confidence. Go and play this Limerick team again and in a Munster final and go and have a real good crack at them because I think you know Watford believe that they are the team to dethrone this Limerick team and other teams might think that they're capable of doing it on their day but Watford fully believe and if they want to be All-Ireland champions they have to go and you know beat every team that's out there and beat them fair and square don't try and hope for this ideal pathway through to get to an All-Ireland final where we can now go and beat them and ambush them you're not going to ambush this Limerick team so I think they just have to, and I think Watford players and, 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 and the whole panel and the management are accepting of this, that, you know, they just have to go at it and we're going to be facing Limerick most likely, we don't know, but most likely in a few weeks we'll be meeting them in a Munster final and we just have to go at it again and go at it again until eventually we, we, we crack it. Um, and I don't think it'll do Watford any service to do it any other way by coming third or anything. It means that they've, they've I think they've taken a step backwards if they come third and then expect them to go on and win the All-Ireland. I just, it doesn't add up for me that that's what they do. <clears throat> well, James, Waterford shared the scores around a bit. Like the aforementioned Desi Hutchinson, five points in play, which was a fantastic return from him. But is there any concern about the fact that we were lauding Stephen Bennett here three weeks ago on the show because of how well he played in the league final? Can't score from play so far in the championship. Any concern? Um, there is, yeah. We can't say there's not. Um, because coming out of the league, you would have said he's their he's their marquee forward, <clears throat> their scoring forward with, with with Dizzy at a at a close second. So when your marquee scoring forward 
it's a bit like we might touch on it later on Wexford at the moment when he's not scoring or not firing the whole forward unit is not ticking perfectly it's not as efficient as it should be um, so like when we look at I know we keep saying Limerick but look at Limerick are the standard bearers so for everybody listening tough shit we're going to talk about Limerick because they're, everyone else is to catch them right so Galan he's scoring he's the guy you're expecting to score and he's doing it so like and with Stephen Bennett you expect him to score and he, he's not doing it he's still he's missing a couple of frees you know like it's just it's not you're not getting as much out of a player of his capability as you should and everyone will reference the, you know, the Cork League final that's what he's capable of the reference the game against Tipperary Blown Watch Park in, the, in the, the league games that's what he's capable of so we expect that from him every day and when he doesn't when he doesn't produce it it's like the, the whole Watford forward machine is not ticking correctly so if they're, if they're going to go forward if they're going to seriously take down Limerick he has to be scoring like realistically speaking he has to be scoring at least 5-6 you know, something of that regard from play because you need that. You need, as we said, we need the scoring opportunities. We need that amount of efficiency. We need huge, um, I, I'll say effort, but contributions from your big forwards. Huge. That's why when, like if you take Galway, for example, for, with, with Kenning, like, we expected him to score one ten every day. You know, like one two, one three, one one four from play. TJ for the same with Kenny. You need them like scoring. You need your Hogan scoring like back in the day because if they don't score from play, you know, you're, you're going to be in a bit of bother. So, again, I'll repeat, if Waterford to progress and take down Limerick, they're going to have to have Daisy Hutchison hitting five points every day. I know it's a large target and people say, how is that possible? But it has to be done. It's just, it's, that's what's required to take down Limerick. And, like, Bennett will have to hit the, the 110, 111, 112 every day, every day, without fail, in order to produce something special and take down Limerick. His efficiencies from Freeze in the two games were reasonably decent. Missed a few along the way. Limerick missed nothing at the weekend. 100% record from Freeze. That's that's where Dimmer Burns has become so useful as well, Paul. Like he's equal to scoring for the last two championships in these first two championship games, which means now if you're going to foul Limerick in their own half, this guy could easily bomb it between the posts from long range. Yeah, he could. And you contrast it with Watford as well. Like something to be critical, I suppose, of Austin Gleeson over the last while is that this, you know, Austin Gleeson goes back and tries to do the same thing or even tries to do it from further back. But Limerick seem to have it very set in what we're doing. And Dermot Burns is an exceptional free taker. Whereas, you know, even thinking back to the week before, Austin Gleeson going back to take a free nearly in his own 21, that doesn't happen if you're Limerick. You know, Dermot Burns does not go back there and take that free. He might go back and take it, but he won't. He's not going to go for a point. Whereas you don't know, like I was kind of looking at the game and it's one thing I was thinking about just with Watford is that who's going to stand over which free, you know, and it's nearly depends on, it depends on a few things, you know, who's going to stand over which free. And now I know Stephen Bennett takes the majority of them, but like Austin, Austin Gleeson can come out some of the times then and, you know, we saw him hitting wides from frees at the weekend. Dermot Burns doesn't do that. So never mind taking the free, but Dermot Burns obviously has this down to a fine art because it's nearly like Shawnee McMahon back in the day with Clare. It's just you stood over him and it was a joy to watch and it was these lord and freeze that were just impeccable and the way he struck the ball and everything is brilliant. So Dermot Burns, what he provides for Limerick, you know, Watford don't really have that at the moment. They're, they're kind of doing it with Austin Gleeson but it's not as consistent and for me, I kind of find as well, I think it takes the wind out of your sails a small bit when you have someone who's trying to do it but can't really do it. So I, something as well Watford I think need to do, because again, only three points at the weekend, that could have easily been picked up with kind of longer range freeze if you maybe had your house a small bit more in order. But it was just something I think that, again, we're still talking of it. Everything we say, Limerick have it and Limerick do it. And in this in this way, Dimmer Burns is really well. But like Watford have Austin Gleeson going back, taking a few frees, and he did get one or two of them over the weekend, but he also hit wides and he's done it in other matches as well, which 
I think it's kind of a little bit of a kill and blow. At least keep that ball in play. If you think it's too far for you, keep it in play. Give the, let the forwards work for it. Or even, you know, do something a bit more creative for the centre forward comes running out towards the 65 and pop it to him and try and create a score. But Limerick seem to have all these things answered for it. They know what they're going to do. Whereas the likes of Waterford are trying to gain on them. There's certainly an area where they can, where they can you know, improve on and where you could maybe get those three points reclaimed back. I big mistake I made not to pick Dermot Burns in fancy hurling went for Kyle Hayes then Kyle Hayes pulls his hamstring in the first uh, round meant I had to make three subs because good old Brian Cody had to go and make uh, changes for Kilkenny drops a couple of his players who played well in the first game he said to give people a run against Leash thanks a lot for that Brian which meant that I had a couple of players that scored zero this week uh, we're not doing great by the way no. uh, this is probably a good time to talk about speak where we yourselves. are speak for yourselves lads well, <laughs> well Murphy, I actually, Murphy I actually thought you pulled out of fantasy you've gone so far down I actually thought you lifted well I was looking at it and Paddy Maros behind me so I was there going that's brilliant I don't know why I took confidence from that but I've been taking so little <laughs> there's things the there's so little consolation to be taken from my position but like I was looking at it going jeez I'm after having a great week this week and I actually thought I had Caleb Lyons I thought I changed him out the weekend and I saw that he was doing really well it was actually Jack Fagan I had and then I was going, geez, and then I couldn't remember which Cooney I was after putting in, and you were praising Joseph Cooney, and I had Connor Cooney, centre forward, who puts in good performances, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm not playing it at the moment uh, in the fantasy early. Well, going to give some praise to the players who are towards the top of our league here. Um, number one, Dermot McGill, uh, the manager of the O'Moore's Camogie team in Leash, his club is Ballyfin, got 322 points this week, which is just an insane score. His team threw the signs. 538 has him right up there in the, the National League table as well. Uh, we've got some very clever listeners who are doing really well. Uh, Kieran Kenrick uh, from Moyle Rovers got nearly 300 points, 296 this week. He's just a point behind Dermot overall. And Shane Hassett from Drum and Inch is just behind them on 535. They're our top three currently, which is insane. I think I'm in 45th position currently within the league. I'll do a quick check for uh, James Skell here to see where he's going. Top I think, James, you were around... Were you actually top 30? Top 30. You can sing it. He's not. He's 77th in our league. What? Go away all that. I was checking the other day. I was 80th on the first yeah. count on Monday, and they kind Go of do a it. recount. And I was, I was there checking it today. I said, I'll have a look there now. Surely yeah. I've picked up a few pints. I'm down to 82 now. Here so, you are. Skell's on 77. Although you had a good week, James. 294 this week is good going. The hurling pod, right? Let me go into this now. And if I click, I am on 29, the hurling pod. Oh, no, wait. You're 77 overall. That's actually not bad. That's yeah. good one. I want a written apology off you. <laughs> well, look. Sorry now. I thought when I was searching within the league, that's where you were within the league itself. And Paul Murphy's 82nd overall. That's not bad. Yeah. No, I think that... Is that overall? I think so. Jesus. Yeah. Paul Murphy's 75 in our league. Oh, sorry, oh, I read the wrong... Oh, jeez, I'm not doing too bad, so... Oh, no, no, he's doing all right. You see, this is the worst part. We thought, because we were so far down in our own league, that we weren't doing great. Just turns out, it seems our league is stacked with some of the best players in the entire game. But that seems to be it. Like, Dermot Gill, 530. Jesus. That's, that's, that's Gone. <laughs> I'm not catching him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm well behind in my club and county leagues as well, um, as it's all refreshing here in the background, but... If anyone wants to join, I'll stick the code up if you're uh, watching the YouTube version currently. We also have the code up on Off The Ball's Twitter as well. I think you can still join along, even if you weren't part of the league in, le- in week one. Uh, you can still take part in it. All right, let's do a bit of jumping around then when we realise we're maybe doing a little bit better in fancy than we thought we were originally, um, but still well behind in our own league. James, we'll go back over to Leinster because Wexford have put themselves in a right sticky wicket now after their first two games because they started with the two homes and then they're on the road for the next uh, three weekends after this. They would have been hoping to have 
maximum points, obviously, but they would have been hoping to have more than one point from the first two games. A very potentially damaging result for them losing to Dublin on Saturday afternoon. Uh, it is very damaging, like, and it's it's, it's squeaky bum time now. <laughs> like, I uh, when I was assessing Wexford, I thought they generally only did they only have two points coming out of the first two games. Um, so one point in, in the way the championship is structured uh, and the value of a draw versus a win, one point is, is is as bad as a loss. You know that sounds a bit ridiculous, okay, at this moment in time, but it it, can, it has to be considered who takes the point off you. So they've only got one point off two of the big four, if you like, and they've continued to come. So if Kilkenny take them down, they've got one point out of three games. So they, they, they'll likely, if I'm reading correctly now, they'll finish with five points over the course of the uh, of the round robin. And that won't be enough to finish in a 16 third place. Um, Dublin have got, obviously got four. And you know, with respect, they're going to get two more off, um, off Westmead. So they're going to obviously finish with six. Uh, Galway at the minute have three. And that's why, that's why this weekend's game of Kilkenny becomes just a monumental game. It's huge. Um, and... If if Galway take down Kilkenny, it puts Wexford in a worse position. Mm-hmm. You know, so if Kilkenny take down Galway, there's some solace in that. That that at least that that they they look at like Galway being beaten by a team again, one of the top four. So they'll they'll see some light there. But you know, I, they didn't help themselves at all. I was just I, I watched the game live. Uh, Will it was it was a good affair. Like it wasn't from from a hurling quality perspective, it wasn't up there with the Munster games. But from a, from an intent, physicality, excitement level, it was it was it was very good. Um, and I just thought Wexford were they were poor enough. Let's say their forwards are from like from eight to fifteen. They only got thirteen points, you know, overall. So that's just not enough. That's not, like we're talking about, you know, what Stephen Bennett and Desi Hutchinson have to produce to take down Limerick. But the Wexford forwards have produced an awful lot more than that. Um, like. 20 points is nothing in today's inter-county game. 30 points is, is a, it looks to be a minimum nowadays. So I, I, I kind of worry a bit for Wexford. Um, like Rory Connor seems to be doing an awful lot of the work by himself. Like he's winning his own frees. Uh, not necessarily scoring them after he wins them, but he's yeah. winning his own frees. I think Lee Chin, if you're fit enough to come on, you're fit enough to start. That's my book. Like, like That has to be done now. So if Lee Chin comes on and takes frees straight away, he has got to be starting the next day. No two ways about it. I know that like, they're playing, excuse me, they're playing uh, Leach the next day. Will he be starting the next day? hard to know you know so but he when, when they played the big teams he's got to start because they're just not getting enough out of the forward unit and they look again I use the word disjointed that's the way they look a bit um, they'll have to change up their puck out strategy a small bit they'll have to change up the way they deliver balls to the forwards they'll have to change their penalty taker you know there's, there's, there's things that Wexford are going to have to do in the very very immediate if they're to progress and they're in a bit of a pickle at the moment yeah uh, on the penalties Paul given now that Mark Fanning has missed them in successive weeks they probably have to make a change now, don't they? Because like his confidence on hitting them is probably going to be quite low. It's not that long ago, but I remember the season they won Leinster where Mark Fanning seemed to score every time he stepped up to take a penalty. But missing two in successive weeks, that's got to damage your confidence. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not an easy one. It's a strange one because they mightn't get any more penalties about it. So it could become a kind of a thing that, you know, it's 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 needless to do in the end. But certainly, maybe it's something in their best interest where they go, look, look if you're getting a penalty in a game, you need to be scoring it. You know, it's a great platform, especially the way the penalties are now. Like, you know, as in just having keeper on keeper, or sorry, just one keeper on the line and then you're having someone come up. So, again, you know, you need your you need your penalty take. You see Tony Kelly at the weekend coming up and just no doubt about it, he is hanging it up. You know, you'd say the same with Kenny having TJ. TJ steps up and even when the keeper goes the right direction. Now, in fairness to Sean Brennan over the weekend, it was a great save because Fanning didn't do a whole lot wrong. It was down and it was low and it, was, it, seemed, it appeared to be right into the corner. But... Um, at the same time, you know, Brennan got down really well and it didn't seem like there was a real rasp on the ball, that the ball was flying into the bottom corner. He had time to get down there 
and and make a great save. But certainly, yeah, look, if you're if you're missing two penalties, you know, just from a housekeeping point of view going forward, you have to kind of say, listen, big calls have to be made. Rory O'Connor, step over that there now and, and maybe change it. I know James will probably disagree with me now. Maybe you're not showing a confidence in in your keeper, but no, like you I, know, I you have to score these. I agree with you, Morph. Like I was looking at Fenning's run up, and I said his run is very very slow up to it. So mm. as a goalie, you can read him a small bit. And then another telling sign is the last week against, or sorry, uh, two weeks ago against against Galway, he put his first penalty top left and over the bar, and he changed completely then to, to bottom right, which signified to me that he just he wasn't sure where he was going. Yeah. We look at Tony Kelly taking the penalty. He's nearly racing up to the ball. I'm putting this ball top right. Save it if you can. Yeah. And even as a goalie, when you see a fast run up, you don't have time to read his body. If you mm. see a slow run up, you can kind of half read him. And if you watch Brendan the goals, he nearly he's he's to the left of the black spot as you look behind him. Yeah. So he's reading Fanning and he gets down low. Great save. Yeah. Um, because traditionally, like you'd look at Fanning and say he's a right sided player, which means they generally go across their body. So Brendan would have assumed or I'd, I'd always assume 80% of the time they go to my right because because he's a right sided player but he went down and Brendan read it perfect but I have to if I find the manager I have to change it more it's, it's yeah. two penalties in a row missed um, I remember Conor McDonald took one in the Leinster final in 17 and it was Pewter and so like that I don't know is he the option um, so like Rory Connor, stand over that ball and bury it you know yeah. that's the size yeah. keep it low and your chances are very good because it's just like you said a great word to use there more housekeeping so tidy up on these things get Shane on the park get him taking the freeze get him taking the penalties if that's the case as well um, but they just need to tidy up across across the board I think as well James the free taking is going to have to be on point now they're going to have to run up scores in these next couple of games because they go to the Midlands on successive weekends so they've got Leash then Westmeath over the next couple of weeks so they need to be putting yeah, yeah. big score lines up in both those games the frustrating thing I think for Wexford last weekend was that Dublin were really good. Now, some of their defenders played brilliantly. Like we talked maybe about how good Owen O'Donnell was at the weekend. But when it came to Rory O'Connor and when he got his feet moving, Dublin were very good at kind of sharing the fouls around to a certain extent. And they gave away a freeze and they were taking the risk that those frees were going to be missed. Um, that's been an issue for Wexford over and over in the last few years that you know, they don't have the free-taking efficiency of the top teams and therefore it's better to foul Rory O'Connor than to let him to run at you. You're right. And especially fouling in Wexford Park was a bit of a breeze. Uh, and you know, we, again, when when Wexford played Limerick in their first league game, we 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 applauded them for for their work ethic and how they produced the result. But we did say that the freeze could come against them in the championship. So like you'll see, the, like against Galway, uh, Conor Cooney rarely missed the free. Against Kilkenny, TJ very rarely missed the free. So these guys aren't really going to miss. You look at Donald Brock now for Dublin, unless it's within a certain range or beyond a certain range. Should I say he's not going to miss either. Um, and like you talk about the Dublin defence, like even when they went to man down, like Donald Ryan was class like the, the, the way he went forward uh, he, he doesn't look like the most stylish hurler but he's pure energy and pace and he just occupied Wexford all along down that left wing and uh, so their defence was actually Ola Donnell saw that guy a number of years back um, I know Matty Keeney well and he says Ola Donnell is, is the, the top full back in the country and I don't I don't dispute Matty he sees him closer than we do Ola Donnell is top class I, I do believe he'd make any team in the country uh, regardless of, of who we're talking about here um, and he's just a gem to have and you see the way he's able to go forward and score as well whilst locking down someone don't get me wrong now he just slip and work without with what Conor McDonald produces and Rory Conor produces but he's able to cater for it so he's he's a huge person to have in your full back lane which is such a, a critical place nowadays because you're you have to have the pace and the power you know of, of, of a halfback and, and a full forward at the same time so look Dublin will be delighted they've got four points um the best possible start that they could have could have hoped for and uh, with bigger games to come so they've gathered some momentum so who knows what their ceiling is 
Well, Paul, we bemoan bad defending, so there's a chance to actually speak about good defending. And there were two moments that kind of really stood out for me. was one where Owen Donald put his paw up and came out with the ball when Wexford were trying to get a score and were starting to lay siege a little bit. And you're thinking, these are the type of lifts that you need. The missed penalty, O'Donnell been able to go up there and put his paw up there. And then Sutcliffe, towards the end of the game, we talk about defending from the front. He could easily have just went to block a passing lane, allowed the long pass to go in and let his defence deal with it. But Sutcliffe burst himself to get up to get a block with two minutes left on the clock. Yeah, and it was just symptomatic of the difference of attitude between both of the teams. Um, like we, I think we saw it, it was just everywhere. I think Ray Boyne had it up over the weekend. It was just everywhere the block that Sutcliffe did. But that just typified what Dublin were about the weekend and it completely the complete opposite of what Wexford were about. Because I, I saw one clip on the Sunday game there um, and it was basically the one where Rory O'Connor put the great ball across for Conor McDonald for the goal. And they were just saying, you know, how well Rory O'Connor did to get that ball across and that he took out five Dublin defenders. But for me, I was looking at it going, well, there was five Dublin defenders back at least. And where were the rest of the Wexford forwards supporting Rory O'Connor in this position? And that just showed, like, you know, Wexford weren't really willing to lay a hand in Dublin. And, like, Dublin went to Wexford Park and they said, look, we're going to go here, a team that's playing really well, okay, came out of a draw in the last match, but a team that performed savagely well in the league, barred their last game, and went down and turned them over, did what they had to do. And like, I kind of was delighted for Matty Kenny in one way, because he's taken a bit of flack over the last few years, particularly of, you know, what is this Dublin team about? And look, we've been critical of them as well. Great game against Tip in the league, but then Kilkenny go out and hammer him. That was the last really significant match they've had as well. So like, a great win out of Dublin to go down to Wexford Park and do that. And they'll take huge confidence from that as well because you look at the flip side of it. Like, they went down with great aggression and we're, we're talking with Danny Sutcliffe with, you know, I'm going to go out here and throw my body on the line. Wexford get the ball back, they run up. Liam Ryan has a great chance to put the ball over the bar. Passes pass it off to the youngest man in the pitch and Pepper don't know what to do, game over. Yeah. Wexford now have to go on the road for two games. Now I think it's two games are on the road. But they have to go and, you know, play... They have to play Leash and Westmead. They're not going to take a huge amount from it. Not to be any insult. Like, and Leash could put a serious battle up to him, seeing what Leash are performing with at the moment. Leash could could perform something against Wexford. But I don't think Wexford are going to learn a huge amount before they go to Nolan Park. And now they have one point on the board at the moment. Whereas the likes of Dublin, like, you know, Dublin have four points on the board now and in a good position. We'll learn a lot from Kilkenny and Galway over the weekend. But for Wexford at the moment, like, it's not going to do them any good. I think it's a confidence thing. It's an attitude thing with Wexford at the moment. We know they have the hurlers. They're performing really well in the league. But they seem to have, they seem to be drifting at the moment. They don't really seem to know. The aggression has gone out of their game. They didn't lay a hand on Dublin over the weekend. So Wexford are kind of going to, I suppose, they're going to go to the latter stages of the Sunday game in terms of what's going to be shown for them because they're going to be playing Leash and Westmead. And then they're going to have to go to uh, Nolan Park. And, like, I, I guarantee, anyway, Kilkenny after the last few years of Wexford and playing Wexford Kilkenny will be savagely aggressive with Wexford coming to Nolan Park regardless of what happens over the next few weeks so you know Wexford are in a tricky situation at the moment and they've made a lot of hard work at the start of this championship we were talking about um, Wexford in terms of having more of a more favourable draw in terms of having two of the big teams at home where you can go and win those games and create a platform for yourself for the rest of the championship they now have one point out of the four points not a good position to be in where other teams Dublin have done good work now you know they have they have their two wins they're sitting pretty Kilkenny are the same okay Kilkenny now have the three hard matches coming but you know Wexford 
for how they performed in the league are in a bit of a, a sticky spot at the moment. But in fairness, I, I think I have to give all the applause to Dublin at this stage. Great performance. And I think at the final whistle, you saw what it meant to Dublin as well. You know, all the players were really, you know, celebrating the victory. And like, you know, celebrating it in a, in a really good way. They were just going around patting each other on the back. We did the hard work. You know, we can go home now with our four points on the board. And, you know, finishing up where we started off. Danny Sutcliffe's block just typified what, what Dublin were about the weekend. And look, I just think all the credit really has to go to Dublin for a real tough performance in Wexford Park coming out with just the finest of margins. But um, it, it's great. And like I said, it's great for Matty Kenny as well because I think he deserves it with the hard work he's put in with Dublin. Yeah. James, when it comes to Dublin now, look, there's still two difficult games for him to come. They've still got Galway and Kilkenny in the mix here that they have to get through if they're going to get to back-to-back Leinster mm-hmm. finals. But couldn't have hoped for a better start. If they go down and win in Mullingar, they're going to be very well placed because they'll have six points on the board after their first three games, which would be the expectation coming out of this weekend. Do we think that Dublin are now going to qualify given the good start that they've had? It, it's, it's hard to see how they don't because after this weekend, again, you'd assume that they're going to have six points. Um, with with a big game to come, uh, they'll target both games. No, Matty Kinney he's not going to say we pick one game, give our best effort, and try to take two points. He's going to go for four points, finish top of the group, and head for the Leinster final. It's hard to bet against them. Will it's hard to bet against them. Like I, I didn't think myself they go down and beat Wexford after the Leash performance. Um, lo and behold, they do they do what they did. Um, so so they're on an impressive run. And again, I use that word momentum. Momentum is a huge thing when you're on a, trying to produce a successful run. So. Like it's, it's hard to bet against them at the minute. Like the, the scales have tilted in their favour. Um, but again, they won't get the opportunity or the allowances they got in Wexford Park. Like they were allowed to make mistakes and still be able to retain the ball. Their first touch wasn't in sometimes in their forwards, and still there was no Wexford back going on them. So they're not going to get that beyond this weekend. Obviously, they'll have two huge games with Kenny and Galway, and I guarantee you that they, they, neither team will give them an, a, a fraction of the space nor the time that they were allowed for in the last two games. So. It's, it was going to be challenging. We always said that from the outset. Like when you've got four teams who are vying for three places, um, you know, someone's going to have to, to, to produce a big, a big performance or, or else produce a, a bad one to get knocked out. So, But again, you touched on it there a minute ago and so did Murph. The score difference is going to be very, very important. Like, so I'm tracking that from a goal perspective now, looking at the, the West game from West, West Mead game from the weekend and then looking at Kikini, what they produced themselves and thinking, God, you have to keep the score ticking over. So when you get the opportunity, again, respectfully, against the West Leeds, West Mead and the Meads, or, or Leashes, you're going to have to put, unfortunately so, it's just the way, the way the championship, you're going to have to put the foot in the throat and score as much as you can to to, uh, to rule out that possibility of going out and score difference. I know all too well about it. Um, so, like, that's probably going to happen this weekend. Dublin are going to target the West Mead game to throw up a big score on them. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it might come down to that as, as, as the championship unfolds. Well, I don't know if Parnell Park a few years ago was in the mind when it came to Galway, James, at the weekend in Salt Hill, but, you know, 26-point victory, 337 put up on the board, 225 scored in that first half. That's a ruthless performance by your county there. Yeah, but it had to be. It was. It had to be, like, uh, I won't say it was called for, but it was It was just a necessity. And you don't, say, you don't like to see these beatings being being dished out to counties who were, who were trying to improve. But, unfortunately, it's a dog-eat-dog situation here, and Galway are trying to... Uh, progress and, and Westmead are effectively he was a one for a better phrase were in the way so you have to put a, as I said put as much on top of them as possible and then Kikini go down the road and Kikini did the exact same thing to Leash so like um, you know there, there's no there's no room for sympathy or empathy in this in this championship I'm afraid No that's the truth Paul and like when it comes to Kilkenny again 
big scoreline run up quite a few chances actually left behind in that game against Leash too they had 18 wides I think during the game but Kilkenny still scored two goals and 34 points Leash's chances not helped very well documented the injuries that they've got currently Podsley their vice captain's missing uh, Picky Marr Ross King was missing this week just gone by Willie Dunphy's not been available missing kind of four or five key starters Ben Conroy not available currently either again Kilkenny can have no real sympathy about it but Kilkenny again have taken out we spoke about their first two fixtures they would have been expecting big wins against Westmeath and Leash and job done really over the first two games yeah exactly and look they did rack up a big score like Leash didn't make it easy on Dublin the week before and um you know, it, it, Kenny did what they had to do and it was it was never in doubt. Um, look, not to be patronising or anything, but it was never in doubt. And Kenny, like that, went out and did what they needed to do. James is saying it there, you need to rack up scores. You can't be looking at each game going, Asher, look, if we just get to win in two points on the board. Because looking at the, the table the way it is, you do have to go out there and rack up the scores. And no more again, the same against Galway, against Westmead. You know, coming off a draw in Wexford Park, it wouldn't have done Galway any good even going out and winning this game by four or five points if I'm honest or six points or having a real cagey match and just coming out of your stadium they needed to go out and just go right we'll just keep the scoreboard moving until the 70th minute 70th minute whatever the score is happy days Kilkenny very much did the same thing even the likes of Tom Feeling coming back from injury getting a goal they just had lads kind of popping up all over the place and like 18 wise okay Brian will be telling to improve on that but at least it just showed that not only were they racking it up on the scoreboard, but they were still creating chances they were hitting wide. And it gives them something to focus on as well. But, like, you can't even no doubt over what they have to do over the next while. They have their three hardest games coming now. Still have four points on the board, but they're in a really good position, you know, injury-wise. They haven't many injuries at the moment. Um, they've learned a lot from the league as well. So they are in a good position. But, look, unfortunately for Leash as well, you know, Leash would have liked to put up more of a battle. Um, they, they do have their injury injury concerns as well and they do have their injuries where they, they can't actually pick lads but um, it's 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 not a favourable position for Leash to be in and unfortunately they're they're, they're going to kind of ship these um, they don't have the, the, the leeway really to be to be losing players without uh, shipping these big these big defeats anyway but look it was a big win for Kilkenny and certainly look nothing to be taken away from Leash from this match yeah might come down when it comes to that last game in Port Leash between Leash and Westmead which is like a de facto relegation final when you consider that John McDonough is probably not going to be won by Kerry this season that it could be down to who has the fittest panel because Tommy Doyle got injured for Westmead at the weekend against Galway we'll see if he's fit uh, to play against Dublin this coming weekend just a couple of things I mentioned in those games too like Killian Doyle again has just been so free scoring scored 14 points against Galway at the weekend in that defeat Galway had some big scores as well like Conor Cooney 1-8 Joseph Cooney scoring one goal in five um, a huge huge score with 337 uh, TJ Reid back in his first championship start of the year 110 for Kilkenny at the weekend so uh, nice to be able to ease him back into what's a huge bank holiday meeting between your two counties lads but Taggy really, Fogarty we leave him back in one we leave him back in all this week well, there you go James <laughs> so I'm going to give you first shout on something that Taggy Fogarty was talking about on OTBM this morning he was making the argument I don't know whether this was him talking down Brian Cody going on to take his apprentice on at the weekend he says Kilkenny have beaten nothing so far this year because of the way that the group worked out in Division 1B and he's arguing they've beaten two soft teams starting the championship that we don't really know where Kilkenny are at because they haven't played one of the top teams who are really on it and his qualification for that was that Waterford were already through to the league uh, semi-finals before they played them Oh, that's typical. That's typical now. Like, <laughs> that is that just tourism in Yerra, is it? If I'm in the guard dressing room, I know what's coming down the road. I put it that way, up the road, should I say. I know exactly what's coming. And you have to uh, meet fire with fire, I put it that way to you. So I... Uh, <laughs> 
I'm expecting a big clash, like a huge, huge big clash. Like Kikini, yeah, you can say they've played nothing. Again, that the, the, the two games they've played have been not very challenging. But but you know they're going to come with a ferocious work rate. You know the, you know they've got a, they've got a good balance of a team and a good squad now at this stage uh, assembled uh, between young and old. So there's going to be nothing like there whatsoever. I, I, if I'm calling the game, I'm tossing a coin, and I genuinely am picking Hart and Head over anything else uh, because the, the margins are so small when you put two teams of this together. Um, but I'm looking at it and thinking, I, I'm saying, I'm saying, oh, we're going to have enough. I'm saying that the home crowd is going to, there's going to be a big crowd expected. I think the weather, which is always a big issue in Pierce Stadium, is supposed to be fairly okay. Um, we're not going to have flipping a gale force breeze like you always do. So you'd expect it to be fairly neutral conditions, if you like, uh, with a good home crowd. And look, I think that the last day for Galway it was important to get that win, get like get a run into some lads, get some scoring going to them, get a bit of confidence up regardless of opposition. And uh, look, I think Henry, who's better primed to uh, to kind of foresee what can you bring than Henry Sheffield? You know, the mm-hmm. greatest ever player uh, is, is now over Galway and he's going, he'll fill us in with all their secrets and what they're <laughs> going to come with. <laughs> so, uh, like, look, he's the right man to have in the right spot at the right time. Um, and like, again, I don't think like, granted, he's he's relatively young in his managerial career. I don't think he's going to get any way swayed or preoccupied by this fact. It's Cody versus Sheffield. It's King versus Prince, whatever you want to call it. Um, that that won't, that's going to be completely relevant. I think from looking at him objectively, he's quite uh, methodical. He'll see the job at hand, do exactly what's required, and uh, and hope for victory. And a big, big performance first of all, then hope for victory after that. So I'm going to call it by Galway by two. Right, before we get the Kilkenny jury on this scale, let us in on the inside track on what the crack is with Conor Whelan's fitness then. Because Shefflin was very non-committal when he was asked about the weekend, have to assess it during the week, we're not quite sure, thought it was a couple of weeks, not quite sure if he's going to be back for this week. What's the word around Galway at the moment about his fitness? The word is, it's, again, it's a hamstring injury. Like it's, it's, it's semi-serious. Like When I say semi-serious, I'm not talking about 8 to 12 weeks, I'm talking about, let's say, like 3 to 4, something like that, that when you consider the round-robin championship, you're basically kind of nearly ruling them out. Um, Anton beyond that is is somewhat of a minor miracle in terms of um, improvement because these injuries, more like these hamstrings, like granted, I never got a hamstring injury and if I did, there'd be something wrong. But like they're very slow to heal. Um, you know, you can. It's when you go to the hundred percent max of a sprint or a run that you really feel the pinch after you come back. So it's not like you can race it on like a bone and just play it through it. The hamstring is a it's a very nullifying injury. So. He's going to have to come through it. Um, I'd say he'll miss the Kikini game, obviously. I think he'll miss uh, the game after and then probably, hopefully, we'll see him after that. I, I, you'd be hoping that we see Jason Flynn and we he, we see Whelan and Ronan Glynn and come back, I won't say around the same time, but definitely around the latter stages around Robin because the three guys that we're going to progress, like we certainly need them. Definitely need them. Right, Paul. That's a boost straight away if they're not going to risk his fitness for this weekend. Not having to worry about wheeling in and around that full forward line as a boost to Kilkenny definitely yeah and I think you know it's it's it, it is a fine um, it's a fine margin at the moment in terms of what could win this win because it is a tough one to call now in fairness um, you know there's there's a lot to be said Galway after the game in Wexford Park you know they could have they should have closed out the game really um why didn't they is, is, is a question I suppose Henry Shelton will be looking to maybe rectify maybe sort out listen lads we need to seal out these games certainly up in Pierce Stadium you know we haven't we haven't got much reward going to Pierce Stadium over the last few years but the likes of Conor Whelan being out like Conor Whelan like he'll preoccupy the full back full stop like you can't leave Conor Whelan alone and he's basically you know everyone's keeping an eye on him when he's in the full forward line since he's not there does it give create a small bit more of a platform for Kilkenny going forward that might sound mad to say with the full back line but you know Huey Lawler 
is a very dominant fullback in fairness and as far as I'm concerned there's only a few players that would physically dominate Huey Lawler um, Connor Whelan being one of them Connor Whelan isn't there who do you bring in to occupy Huey Lawler or do you even try and occupy him do you, do you just let the full forward sit in close so the likes of Connor Whelan being absent you know I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it in terms of it being the factor that tips the scales in fairness um, it is a tough one to call though like the, the good thing that I do say about the likes of this Kilkenny team in fairness is they will relish this challenge they won't go up and as far as I'm concerned have a dead rubber and, and, and kind of not perform or that we're scratching our head on Monday seeing what the story is if, if Galway are winning this they're winning it fair and square and they're putting in a savage performance um, I think Kilkenny d- d- what Brian Cody will be looking at at the moment with Kilkenny is he hasn't really shown his hand as far as I'm concerned you know we've played league matches and played a full league and performed really well he hasn't had the last two matches where he's had to go out and really show show his hand. You know, TJ Reid, as as he laughed at me, he didn't start the first game. I knew he wouldn't start the first game because Brian Cody would be saying, "Listen, these are the players who've been playing. You, you'll prove your when you get your chance, take your chance." And that would be Brian Cody's attitude towards this, as a case of, "Listen, lads, the jerseys are up for grabs." Now he introduced them very quickly up in Westmead, and now he started the last day. So Brian Cody's attitude at the moment will be that you know a lot of players will be looking at this game saying. If I'm starting this game, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, but I need to perform really well because I want to be playing the next game and I want to play and they know that that's the way Brian will work. That, you know, if I give you a chance this weekend, you need to perform. There is no second chances. So whatever team Brian puts out the weekend, I do believe they're gonna throw a lot at Galway. I think Galway, look again, Galway do have the firepower to go and win the match. I find my loyalties towards Kilkenny saying Kilkenny are going to win it but I think the platform is there for Galway Galway are very good in Pierce Stadium and they don't they don't allow many teams to come and turn them over let's say championship wise we'll, we'll let the league aside so it's, it is a hard one to call the, li- the likes of Conor Whelan not being there is a big factor now in fairness but the other side of it is I don't think Henry Shefflin will play him the weekend even if he's 80-90% fit because it's too risky there's no need to do it there's no need to make an injury that's a small injury now and he'll be back in a few weeks there's no point in dragging that injury out even longer to a player that's so influential and so important to your team so I think at the weekend regardless of what Henry's saying I don't think we'll see Conor Whelan playing I think that'll allow Kilkenny to, to, to really I suppose be a little bit more steady at the back I don't think Galway will win as many ball in the full forward line because you haven't got Conor Whelan causing problems there. So that might just be the difference that allows Kilkenny to win the more percentages of ball in that in that back line and maybe push forward. But who will win, I suppose? And I talk with my heart to say maybe Kilkenny. I'll go against Taggy there saying Kilkenny. But I just think that Kilkenny, look, they have four points on the board. We have lads fighting for positions. Um, I think they're in a good position to go on to a serious challenge in Galway but I don't know it's a very tough one to call um, I, I, if I was to be unloyal to Michael Kenny lads my head might be saying Galway at the moment just because it's a home venue and you know maybe I don't think the whole Henry Bryan thing that doesn't come into it as far as I can say no and Henry it doesn't come into it Henry's there as Galway manager he's not there as this sentimental thing of used to hurt for Kilkenny but I think we know what the picture on every paper on Monday morning is going to be anyways Henry and Brian shaking hands on the sideline that'll be the, the hurling cover photo anyway but um, that won't come into it for Henry anyway it'll be very much he's there as the Galway manager he's there for his team to get two points on the board a home victory so I think that'll be the angle with him. there'll be none of this crack of of coming up against Brian or coming up against Kilkenny he's there as Galway manager yeah, I think that's a side story for the rest of us all to talk about. Naturally, there'll be, ah, how close were these two guys when Shefflin was playing under him? And, you know, there'll always be that thing as well, that there were plenty of reports that Cody was interested in getting Shefflin as part of the Kilkenny management team, but Shefflin's decided to go off and learn his own way. 
I would imagine, Paul, that Brian Cody will be, you know, I would say quite proud of the fact that Henry Sheffield's gone off and taken on a pretty big job here with Galway too because you know, the easier thing to do would have been to come in and be part of the management team within Kilkenny. But he's gone and put his head in the block by becoming a manager in his own right here. Yeah, it's a funny one. Like, I understand what you're saying by him maybe being proud, but I don't think the, I don't think Brian really minds or well, not that it'll matter this this Sunday afternoon. This Sunday yeah. afternoon for both of them. No, yeah, yeah two it's points a, on the really table. Shite. But in yeah. general, as a point in general, like, Henry's gone off to to, to Galway. I think Brian. Yeah, look, you'll be happy for Henry, but I don't think Brian cares to be honest where where his ex his ex players might be or might be managing. Um, yeah, but look, it's Henry's been, I suppose maybe took a, st- a, re- a real steady step in managing Ballahale to a club All-Ireland which um, you know obviously had a good Ballahale team stuck close to home not easy to do it with your home team and went and did it and then he went and he went with Thomastown Intermediate who were a really good team in Kilkenny you know if, if they got up to senior they'd be, they would get victories up at senior they're a very strong team but um, you know it's a bold move out of Henry like you know because a lot of lads could say you could go off and pick other jobs that'd be easier and maybe less out of the spotlight and find your feet but in fairness to Henry like you know he's an ambitious man he's his own man and he went up and took on a a job that is open to a lot of scrutiny okay we're in the honeymoon period at the moment and lads will be patting on the back and we're delighted to have you but at the same time it's a big important job Galway people won't tolerate regardless of your name they won't tolerate not winning they won't tolerate you know someone not putting in good performances we've seen the Galway team that Henry is putting his own spin on it we saw him beating Limerick and the work rate okay they, they stepped away from that but I suppose there was a few things off the pitch that distracted from Galway as well really I suppose having 100% league but um Look, I think, you know, Henry's his own man. Henry wanted to do things his own way. And to be honest, I think, really, be honest, Henry would maybe probably better off if he wants to be an inter-county manager. I mean, he would have learned a lot from his time hurling with Kilkenny. Going back in and managing with Kilkenny, would he have taken a lot more from it? I don't know. That's something for Henry to take. But, you know, he's went and he's, he's put his toe in different waters now at the moment between club management and he's just gone straight to the top with inter-county management in terms of a really savage team. You see other team, other lads maybe taking other jobs throughout the country, but... Look, it's, in fairness Henry, he's his own man. I don't think he, he, he really takes too much um, from what other people are thinking or what he should or shouldn't do. And he, he as well, he has a great backroom team around him as well. So um, I think Henry knows his own business and knows what he what he wants to do. And like obviously, in some ways, you know, down the road, we'll be looking obviously to go, Jesus, we'd love to have Henry Shefflin involved in Kilkenny Hurling down the line. I won't get into any other arguments about you know um, where you want managers and stuff but like Henry Shefflin's a great a great person to have involved in any setup so um, it's certainly going to be interesting the weekend but it, look again like I said I, I see it very much of a Henry being a Galway man at the moment and, and, and Brian Cody's out there to get two points he doesn't care that Henry Shefflin's on the side like. There you go. Official backing for Brian Cody there from Paul Murphy is the line that we take from the end of that. We also take the word savage team the, which are Galway uh, James to throw it back over to you but what we need from this savage Galway team is probably something similar to that Limerick performance or getting up to points where they hurled really well away from home against Wexford. But a kind of a consistent high-level performance will be required if Galway are going to take the points on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, like, consistent across the board from 1 to 20 is is non-negotiable, but we also need our big players to pre- produce a big performance. Like, So we need to be very steady at the back. So like in Murphy, is it, there's a big performance. He has to deliver a big performance in terms of his puck-outs. We've been a small bit cagey, a bit... You know, a bit kind of wishy-washy with our puck house, so we need to nail that down and make sure that's that's a good platform for us to retain possession. We need big performances from Dahi and Garage up to the spine, and you're looking for Cahamani to do as much of the playmaking role, if you want to call it that, and and, and going forward role as possible. Because the more he ticks, uh, the more Galway tick. And I think if if he gets on the ball a lot, he he will take he'll warrant an awful lot of attention, obviously. But again, the, as we spoke about the Keen Lynch, Tony Kelly kind of thing, he'll free up a bit of space for someone for some shooters. Like so, you're hoping that we can produce. 
and show a big performance from him, Joseph Cooney, Conor Cooney. We have to nail our freeze. Um, you have to be, you have to produce brilliant basics against Kikini, and that's work rate number one. So that's hit them with everything that you that you have, every senior you have, because that's exactly what you're going to get off them. So I don't know where we get the same kind of physical encounter that you saw in the American Watford, but I'd say we'd come close to it. There'll be an awful lot of hits. Um, I don't, I don't think there'll be an awful lot of space allowed to either set of set of forwards. So you're going to have to be able to take that on board, manage it, and, and get through it. Um, but consistency is key, like you said. Like if we if we do get a lead, I hope we get a lead. You need to see it out. We can't be losing leads like we we like we lost against Wexford. That's just that's just not that can't be in our vocabulary anymore. Um, and you're hoping that, that that like we produce something that would would be a stepping stone. Not a step a stepping stone is the wrong word, but it give give you a platform to go forward. You know, you you're looking for some positivity. Granted, we can take some from the West Mead game, which like, but you're looking for something to say to tell us as a Galway supporters that. That yes, we have a real shot at challenging the Limericks and, and of this world. So, but and by doing so, they have to put up a big, a big challenge against against Kikini. Um Like I, I, lo- I love playing Kikini because you get a real honest performance. Like you know exactly what's coming up the road to you. Some some teams you play against, you might you might know. We're here talking about Cork and Clare. You might know what you get off them, but when Kikini come up the road, you know exactly what's coming, and it's up to you uh, to take it. Like if we play well, you know if we play really well. And, and we're beaten. I can take that. I, I can put my hand up and say, fair enough, right? But if we don't play well or don't don't perform and we're beaten, I can't take that shit, you know? So if we produce an honest performance and play well, well then whatever way the result goes, we'll take it from there. Well, if you don't get a result, you'll have to win at Parnell Park. I remember the last time the go away to go to oh. Parnell in a, a knockout game. Sorry oh, to have to remind you about that. <laughs> or, well, look, it was Crow Park last year. I mean, Dublin were able to beat oh, Galway there. that place. Burn no. that place, yeah. <laughs> um, just stay out of the city appears to be the message here. So uh, the games, like this Sunday afternoon, it's tasty. You've got the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship uh, round three meeting of Galway and Kilkenny in Salt Hill, 2pm. That game's an RTE2. Then you've got a half-two start for Leash against Wexford at O'Moore Park. Half an hour later, Westmead against Dublin in TEG Cusick Park. And it's on GA Go at 2pm, Cork against Clare, because football's on the telly at four o'clock from the Ulster football. Uh, but they are good fixtures this weekend. Just one game in Munster, but again, a big weekend in Leinster with three fixtures brings us around nicely to listener questions so let's have a look at uh, some that came in over the last 24 hours we've been throwing these up on Instagram uh, just to see what you guys want answered from Scale and Murphy each week this one is coming from Keown Craiga uh, a Limerick fan by the looks of it based on their crest so the question here I'll throw it to you first Paul will Lynch's injury now trouble Limerick or is the system so effective that it shouldn't matter yeah, I think the system is so effective that it shouldn't matter. I think we got our answer straight away the weekend. Um, Cock O'Neill came on, stuck a ball over the bar, and no problem at all. And John Kiley has his lads on the bench. Like, Keane Lynch, everybody wants him playing every week, no doubt about it. And regardless what team in the country is playing, if you're picking it, Keane Lynch is on the team. There's no doubt. Keane Lynch is gone now. Their system is still strong enough for them to put in someone else. So, and I, I think we, we pretty much got our answer straight away. You know, it wasn't a case Keane Lynch went off the pitch. Um, you know, in, in the 70th minute or the 65th minute, they played the majority of the game without him. And Cahill O'Neill came on and saw his opportunity and hit a few wides, but got a good few scores. So I think the system is too strong at the moment in in uh, Limerick for one player. We've seen them; they're without a few players at the moment, and they're still performing really well. So no, I think look, obviously everybody wants to see Keen Lynch on the pitch, but at the moment that he's missing, I don't think it knocks a funk out of Limerick at all. I think the system is far too strong, and they have too many players to replace him. Hmm. James, that was kind of your feeling last week. Uh, was that 
Limerick can lose people in key positions. They can move around. We spoke about the fact that even they had you know moved Kyle Hayes back into the forward line, and they were able to just you know, switch and pivot things around, and Limerick keep rocking. Is is that the biggest benefit of the system that they've built up over the last four years? So that genuinely, few teams could lose a player of the quality of Keane Lynch, but still perform the way they did last weekend. Yeah, to a certain extent, like you have to understand that Limerick also have top top class hurlers top class hurlers so like we can we can take 15 junior C hurlers and put them into the Limerick system and they're not produce shit you know it's like they, st- they still have top class hurlers like when you have people of the ability and I, I'll reference the same people over and over again Kyle Hayes for him to be able to go from centre forward to wing back to full forward and, and so on and produce all star performances and the same with I've, I fully believe if you put Jimmy Burns centre forward he'd still do as good a job for you as, as as what he does at wing back and it's just that they have top quality players put into a system where they can really they can thrive so like they've got a management group that have put this system in place trained them to the system and then they just execute it and like there was you know there's it's it's hard to pick a hole in them you know so like I, I, if players go down with injuries and multiple injuries grand you, you say that the, 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 obviously the level of performance will drop that's natural like but for us to expect them to drop off hugely because they they, they, they miss a player or two at this moment in time the it's not going to happen. You know, I, I myself thought a couple of months ago, Jesus, would they drop, let's say, if they lost what they've lost so far, would they drop 20%? And I was kind of trying with the fact maybe they would, but that's been answered. That's been answered now over the course of the weekend. So I think the system, they're both, uh, they're duly beneficial. The players execute the system perfectly and the system allows the player to be ex- to execute perfectly. Paul, questioning from Brian Rossiter. Uh, will Waterford have learned anything from eventually being outmuscled by Limerick? So I suppose the, the point there being that you know they were eventually just kind of off outfought a little bit in that second half by Limerick. Is there a learning there for Cattle and the management team after what they experienced? Ah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, they would have looked at the good start they got and they got a few scores on the board. I think they would have looked certainly at the likes of Caelan Lyons running forward and kind of free running at the Limerick defence. I mean, he was shut down a few times and as were lots of Waterford players, they ran into this cul-de-sac. But... You know, there was a few times there where, where Caleb Lyons, let's say, for example, got a few balls and he and he found the space and he managed to go, to go at Limerick. Um, again, for the goals, like let's say particularly for the for the Pendergrass goal as well, like th- that was really incisive and it had to be perfect. The pass from Bennett was perfect. The men running off the shoulder, it was a really well earned goal. So th- there is things to take from, but like I mean, some of the negatives are things that will be the positives going forward, like where they'll basically just go, you know, we're out muscled. That's something we need to improve on. Um, physically they competed with them for the majority of the game but Limerick were just dominant enough to push them away and create a distance I think something big time they'll have to learn from is in two games now they've seen Tyke de Burka be kind of nullified in lots of ways you know and Tipperary nullified him to a certain extent Kilkenny did it again in the league as well in Nolan Park where they just had this player playing a little bit out further and kind of not playing exactly the way Watford, it suited Watford now Tyke de Burke got on a good few balls that's Tyke de Burke that's because he's a very good player and he knows how to find those those areas to get on the balls but at the same time he wasn't as influential and if you look at the likes of Declan Hannan at centre back with, with Limerick you know Declan Hannan just goes about his business we're never sitting here talking about him every week saying that he's this exceptional player and only for Declan Hannan the game is won but Declan Hannan gets on a lot of ball and is very effective even going forward as well so I think that's something Watford will be looking at going Maybe we need to push, get Tyke de Burke going forward a little bit more up through the middle. Maybe we need to, you know, be a bit more dominant. And something Liam Cal also talked about was just the decision making. It was one thing he mentioned after the game where that he's not taking it for granted that Limerick can just dominate them. He's saying, well, there's definitely a way we can get around this. So, you know, it is really interesting. Warford Art will take positives from it. 
they'll also take negatives that Liam Cal will be looking to turn into positives that places to improve so there is lots of places that Watford are still learning and they're still trying to just unlock this Limerick team and they're not a million miles away but there is still a gap at the moment I can feel the next one which comes from D McGurk 29 are Antrim a good team straight answer is that yes I mean they've responded really well after the defeat against Leash I was a bit concerned about what was going to happen to Antrim once Neil McManus was injured too I thought does that possibility that there would be an overhang from the disappointment of that defeat in Port Leash they've bounced back really well uh, they changed around for the Tipperary game took a bit of a defeat but I think Darren Gleeson knew exactly what he was doing wanted to be fresh for the game in Navan for the relegation playoff they beat Offaly they're playing Division 1 hurling next year they then ground out a result against Offaly in the first round of the Joe McDonough Cup a couple of weeks ago and then did some unmerciful scoring against their neighbours down last weekend in Ballycran six goals and 22 points is remarkable last Sunday and they are now in a very strong position to qualify because down have already beaten Kerry uh, Antrim already have beaten Offaly and will have head to head over Offaly you would think that Kerry is probably the most difficult game that Antrim now have left but Antrim have already pretty much got a foot in the Joe McDonough Cup final so I would have thought for the Saffron start of the year if Darren Gleeson was putting down two targets on the board it would have been stay in Division 1 get to the Joe McDonough Cup final they've stayed in Division 1 and there's a very good chance they're going to get to the McDonough Cup final they look to me the strongest team outside of those who are playing in the top two divisions and I think that definitely qualifies you as a good team so Antrim going really really well very impressive first two weeks for them um, there's a goalkeeper on this one James so I'll give you uh, the question because of the fact the avatar is a goalkeeper taking a puck out it's Evan Ahern he's talking about Cork he says would you move Mark Coleman to midfield and Tim O'Mahony to 11 we spoke earlier about Cork maybe changing system is there an argument to free Coleman up take his defensive responsibilities away let him be a creator 10-15 yards further forward um, there's certainly an argument for it. Um, is it the right move to move into midfield? I'm not so sure. <clears throat> I would see Coleman as more of a flank player nowadays. Um, like take him out of, of a, a real heavy work, work zone. I, I'd have more of a, a wing back type area um, where he can kind of roll up a flank and, and go forward with, with uh, at will. Um, O'Mahony to 11. I don't know. I've seen videos of him before playing for Newtown Shandrum. At, was it Newtown? Is that his club? Newtown Shandrum, isn't it? Um, playing him at 14. Like, so he's played in the forwards before and he always... He, he's quite efficient when he goes forward, actually, when, you know, in terms of scoring and creating opportunities. So, so it's not that he can't play there, but just is, is he well suited there for Cork? Um, I don't know that suits him perfectly. Like, look, the 11 today is very much a creator first, kind of. The old workhorse 11 is gone. The old, you know, John Power sort of Mark Curran's Joe Rabbit type thing. Them days are long gone, it's Your 11 is kind of a very, very much an axis player who, who creates a lot for you. I don't know if Tim Mahoney suited as that kind of role maybe Matt to midfield would be a better shout than, than the 11 um, I, Seamus Harrity for me is, is Cork's 11 I, I don't know why he doesn't start every day there's obviously different reasons don't get me wrong but like what he can produce low ball high ball scoring from distance and, and tackling he's, he's their 11 so I'd say Matt to, to midfield Coleman to, to probably I'd put him probably to 7 and then I don't know who we put at number 6 <laughs> Bring back Brian Cochran. There you go. It's the million dollar question, isn't it? And the last question we'll take for today, and you can uh, leave comments for us if you're watching the video on YouTube. By all means, throw a comment underneath or stick in the live chat and keep an eye on our Instagram. We'll be back recording from Monday of next week with the Bank Holiday, so we'll be a day earlier um, now that Murphy's back from his travels. But Murphy gets the last question. It comes from Wee Man Sparky. Thoughts on Wexford and where it's been going wrong? Yeah, like again, as when we covered Wexford in the Wexford Dublin game, um, it just seems to be kind of a confidence thing. If I, say, I suppose, 
I was looking at them for the league and like they, they got a lot of praise in the league you know from, from everywhere that they're really performing really well and part of me kind of wonders did that seep in do you know did they kind of maybe believe that they had enough on teams to perform you know at 80% or so like I, this this Wexford team needs to perform at 100% every week to go out they're not like Limerick who can maybe go at 80% and still grind out a victory or you know a few teams who might be able to manage it probably only Limerick at the moment maybe Watford can do that but it just seems to be that they had a good league okay they finished poorly but you know they're after bringing something into the championship that we didn't see during the league like their, their work rate has dropped right off um, incredibly defensively without even laying a hand on, on the other team which it completely contradicts itself you know we saw so many Dublin players having savage time on the ball the weekend um, Paddy Smith would get the ball and he'd actually be standing at, at, at one stage he stood and picked out a pass which is criminal at Intercounty to have the ability to stand you know show me a player who stood in the Waterford and Limerick game and had a chance to pass away without being absolutely cleaned out of it didn't happen so Wexford just seemed to have completely dropped off the pace their attitude their work rate um, and like I said it is going to be a tough thing I don't think there's things that they can really rectify going into the next two games because you nearly need a savage battle like Kilkenny and Galway as James said either way Kilkenny and Galway are going to take a lot from this weekend you know they're going to get a real physical challenge they're going to get a lot of hurling done they'll maybe have points to work on and moral victories and all these things Wexford won't really necessarily have that over the next while so at the moment I don't know Wexford just seem to be drifting they seem to be drifting at the moment they had a good league and seem to be not building on that at the moment so um, unless Wexford rectify you know I suppose really clean the slate now and go back at it they're, at, they're really at danger now just disappearing out of this championship without, uh, without any sort of uh, I suppose a real stab at it so yeah look Wexford have a lot of questions to answer at the moment but I think the biggest one is just that you know, what are we about? Where's our work rate? Where's our attitude? And, you know, get this back to square one and just start working for the ball and working for each other and putting in tackles. So I think that's where Wexford are. And yeah, look, they're, they're certainly not in a good position at the moment going forward for them for them to really reach a Leinster final. Yeah, well, look, friends of the pod are able to find us, uh, even if it's not on Instagram or on YouTube. No doubt there'll be a DM from somebody over the week. A couple of DMs over the last week just when it comes to housekeeping. Wondering if we could stream the video a little bit later in the day on Tuesdays. So uh, not only because of the late recording on Tuesday this week, we're going to probably aim to stream the video out on a Tuesday evening so you catch something off the ball YouTube channel you'll see clips on off the ball social throughout the week as well so you can always go back and watch it on demand but uh, let us know if that schedule suits you better a lot of people are saying middle of the day was impossible when they were in work so they ended up catching demand so if they want to see the premiere later in the day we're hoping from next week to get our podcast back out at 7 o'clock on a Monday best place to subscribe really OTBGA uh, stream wherever you get your podcast from and also we've got the hurling pod stream which is there too which both will be updated simultaneously so if you want to follow either um, help us out give us a rating give us any comments or reviews that you might have on wherever you're picking up your podcast it helps the podcast to grow and also uh, stick those comments onto the YouTube uh, we love the bad ones especially and that actually manages to uh, help the videos out as well well we do we do this is the thing the WhatsApp group every week I always screenshot the really bad ones and go hey Skell look at what this guy said about you and uh, you generally have a laugh about it. So I think we're all fairly thick-skinned about all this as well. So bring. you were telling me one day is you have a few different profiles on like YouTube and this where you where you put up bad comments about yourself and then you throw in the odd bad one about me. Let's say and that's that's kind of how you operate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forgot to mention that that uh, whoever wins the the uh, the, the hurling pod fantasy, the, the prize is a free day's labour from Paul Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I have that good authority. That, yeah. that doesn't exist. That does not exist. Yeah. There was <laughs> me. Yeah. for the state. Yeah, there's no labour. <laughs> I was out to get corporate sponsorship to try and get a surprise. No, you've got a slave for the day is what you get if you uh, win. It's going to be good luck catching Dermot McGill the way he's uh, started in the first two weeks. If you want to play fancy hurling, uh, just flick back through the video again. You'll see in the timestamps where we spoke about the fancy hurling. The code is up there for our league. Join and come and beat all of us, even though we're doing a little bit better than we thought at the start. That is episode 10 of the Hurling Pod in the pocket. Skell, Murphy, looking forward to talking to you again next week. Ciao, lads. God bless. God bless.